Hi, I'm William Catt, and you're listening to Alone in the Dark podcast. Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Alone in the Dark podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and I am joined by my ever-faithful co-host, Maddie. What's up, people? What's going on? Matt, it's been a long time since December. Mikey, dust the cobwebs <laughs> off, man. I know, dude. I know. I think uh, I showed you. Uh, somebody sent us a message on Facebook saying, um, "I, you know, I put up our thing about five years. So, congrats on five years, Maddie." Although, oh yeah, that one about oh, that's hilarious. About uh, we can't wait for episode ten. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, on Facebook, that's kind of our that's kind of our mo. But as we've said before, it's not about quantity; it's about quality, man. <laughs> right? Exactly. And that that's easy to remember because that's what I've been telling girls all my life. <laughs> so anyway, but congr- congrats. congrats on five years, Maddie. Me too, man. That's five years, dude. I still can't believe it's been five years. Five years, and f- this is episode forty-three. I know, dude. Episode forty-three. So what does that break down to math-wise? I'm a terrible mathematician, but uh, Mike, what is that? Not like many. If, eight and a half, uh, eight point something a year is what it breaks down to. But not even it's, eight and a half. You know, it's. But it's really quality stuff. So, and uh, you know, hopefully we keep saying it every year. But I think we'll, hopefully we'll have more planned for this year. <laughs> oh, we have tons planned for sure. But people, people keep sticking with us, and that's all that matters. So we want to thank you guys for staying with us and being patient. Um, yeah, we're, we're definitely. Us. Well, we've, we've started uh, recently. Why don't we start there, Mike? Because we have recently resurfaced. Um, our pulses is racing again, and um, we yes. started to do some uh, every other week or so. We've been active on Instagram, right? Yeah, we have a new feature, right, that Matt came up with called Talking Points, right, Matt? Correct. So tell us, tell uh, our listeners who haven't checked out Talking Points a little bit about it. Well, we we discuss usually two films, and we kind of pit them against each other, and it's not really a throwdown, although it kind of is a little bit. But we just come up with a series of points, and they're not all. It's not a template, so they're not always the same points. But um, they're it's just a series of things we discuss, like um, like like best setting. Uh, better setting and we compare the two films whatever we're talking about and we kind of discuss which we feel is the which one we feel you know which one are we leaning towards so last uh last one we did was it last week right or two no the the thursday before this one last we did scream two versus scream three yes Um, we had a whole series of talking points like uh which character from the films are you and you know is mike or which character is maddie and you know, ran- having Randy versus not having Randy so much, except for the video clip in, in part three. So we we kind of break the films down that way, uh, acting-wise, soundtrack. Those are just some of the examples. And then we kind of just talk on, riff on them, and we and we kind of decide by the end which film are we, you know, which one are we squarely in the corner of, kind of, you know? Yeah, no, and it's been super fun, you know? And um, a lot of people, you know, were writing to us saying, hey, is there any way you know, you can save it because with Instagram stories, things only stay up there for 24 hours. So, right. Um, which is a bummer. 
it is a bummer and Instagram really needs to work on that because there's really no way to save uh, those long videos. But I think I found a workaround where you can just screen like record my like iPhone or iPad, you know what I mean? And that way I can take that video um, and upload it to YouTube so we can put it on our YouTube channel and actually extract the audio yes. and use it for the podcast in a way that, uh, that people can listen to it afterwards, you know, which I think will be great. Yeah, they should be able to access it. It's also, you know, by all means, though, check out our page and our feed and our story specifically because it's really worth it to join us live, um, not to see our ugly mugs by any means, but <laughs> to join in on the conversation because it's really about you know, it's us talking, but at the same point, we, we like to dress all, you know, as many of the comments that come up as possible and kind of interact with our fans. So, yeah, it's more of an interactive kind of thing, right, Matt, as opposed to the, the podcast where it's you and I just yapping. Right. That was a, that was the idea to kind of interface with the fans a little bit more directly. Yeah, which has been super fun. So uh, our next one, Matt, is going to be. Yes, yeah, so the next one is uh, Creep Show 1 versus Creep Show 2. Yes, which will be a really nice comparison. Um, yeah, it's going to be super fun. Very you beloved. Know, to kind of look. At, yeah, two very beloved yeah. films. So, and to look at all the segments and sort of you know uh, dissect each one and see what our favorites are, see what your favorites are, yeah. uh, what the fans' favorites are. It's going to be a really fun one. So uh, we'll announce that one soon. I don't know if we're going to do it this week or not. No, if we don't do it this, this week, week it's the, definitely going to be the following. So we're going to get it. out Yeah, there. without a doubt. So, uh, so yeah, I'm super, super excited about that. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun yeah, doing so those. Stay so. tuned uh, to our, uh, our Lone in the Dark, like I said, our Lone in the Dark page on Instagram for sure, Facebook announcements, and certainly our story yes. on Instagram because we're definitely going to send, blast it out, you know, the date and the time. So just please join us. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, yeah. So Matt, I know we've been away podcast-wise since December, but anything you've seen recently or anything you want to talk about, anything I, um, you've bought recently? Well, I watched the Scream Factory's Misery. I was watching a lot of the extra features Ooh. on Misery with Rob Reiner and stuff. It's really great stuff. Um, really, really enjoyed Scream Factory's version of that. It looks great. And the extra features, there's so many of them. Um, and they're really, really well done. You know, all those documentaries that they they shove on those discs are so great. And then I got awesome. uh, I got Arrow's version also of uh, Bloody Birthday, which is I never really I have to say it was not a it's kind of a blind buy because I I remember just seeing bits and pieces of it, but it's a kind of like one of those you know evil children films. Yes, that subgenre you know that started with like, kind of like the Bad Seed in the fifties. Um, you know, it goes through to like the Good Son and Orphan and whatever else you know you want to stick in that genre. But um, it was one of the, it was a cool early eighties um, little mini slasher, so it's kind of cool and it looks beautiful. I mean, how do you, you know, these films, he's got these 2K and 4K restorations. It's just, it, it's unbelievable. It's awesome. Yeah, I love some of these, you know, especially the special fe- features. You know what I mean? That's what I really enjoy. Yeah, and Arrow has Kinda those mini booklets, in. you know, that, that they, they write up. Oh, they do like beautiful. little mini essays and stuff. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Oh, they're awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Good stuff. Yeah, man. No, Definitely. Nice. Um, I know you you didn't see it, but I, I went and saw Happy Death Day t- uh, to you uh, yeah, and when how it came was that? out. How was that? I enjoyed it. You know, it was uh, it wasn't what I expected. You know, I think a lot of people were expecting more over the top, maybe a little more horror than comedy. Um, this way, they they kind of took away the horror almost completely. Wow! Um, and they made it almost an homage to like Back to the Future and like time travel movies, which was um, 
which I didn't mind because you know one of my favorite movies is Back to the Future, but it was um, for sure wasn't what I expected, but it was still very fun and you know to see those characters again and interact again. I, you know, I kind of love that world of that movie, um, so I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? And uh, I took my kids to see it too, and they really liked it as well. So um, all in all, I thought it was a good movie. You know, I don't know how well it did, but um, you know, I liked well, it. To to follow up on that, I was just looking at iHorror News. You know, the feed, that little app, the iHorror app. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, Jason Blum pretty squarely said, <laughs> and the director writer uh, said that he had a trilogy planned, but Jason Blum said, no time soon are they going to be making a Happy Death Day three. No, really? That's what oh, he that's said. Sad. Yep, or a sin- or wow. a, or a sinister uh, three for that matter as well. So really, yep. I got the interesting. I guess they have other stuff uh, cooking that we don't know about yet, but certainly um, that was kind of a little disappointing to me. Uh, yeah, I guess it didn't do well then. I guess that's the uh, that's well. The take I think it did that. okay, but I don't think it did. I don't think it met their expectations, and uh, maybe they're they're going to try something else or they have something new. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so the, look, go. this is just that's the cool. point, man. The fans, you have to support. If you love these films, you got to support it. You got to go and support them. Yeah, that's true. That's that's the important part for sure. Um, how excited are you about uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone coming out in uh, about a week, Maddie? Well, you're going to have to tell me how that is because I don't have CBS <laughs> All Access and you know I'm not going to get it. So um, you're going to have to tell me how it is. I know. I'm excited. Yeah, I just got CBS All Access in preparation for that. And I've been watching, um, I think I, ta- I was telling you, uh, that, that, new, that Star Trek show, Star Trek Genesis, I think it's called. Yes. The one with the girl um, from because, The Walking Dead, Sonequa Martin, right? Her? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, and it's good. It's really good. But I, I can't wait for that Twilight Zone, man. Did you watch the uh, Did you watch that trailer or no? Did you get a chance to? I didn't. But uh, I did watch oh, okay. the I did watch the Us trailer, and I'm very excited about Jordan. That's something else in the Jordan Peele world that's yeah. coming out. I believe next week. Is that right? Yeah, it's coming out this Friday. Yeah, man. Yep. That's going to be something else. It looks It looks crazy. I saw something that someone said it was hilarious, and I never. Well, they. Somebody said Get Out was this, you know, this raucous dark comedy, which I, the first time through I didn't really see, <laughs> but but um, through different eyes and through you know in different contexts and and kind of sitting back and watching it through different eyes. I mean, I I would like to rediscover these movies and and find the humor in them as well. Yeah, no, I, I guess that's a possibility. So I'm curious. It doesn't to see look how hilarious to be. me. It looks fr- f- absolutely terrifying. Well, well, whoever cut the trailer definitely pitched it that way. So, but you know how you know how they can pitch a movie, you know, via trailer, however way they want, you know. So, well, Mike, listen, we uh, we can wallow in the modern all we want, but I think tonight we have to put you know those Ray Bans on and go way back to about uh, what do you say, Mike? Like nineteen eighty six, maybe. Yes, that's where we're going, Matt. But before we get there, we have one more thing to mention. <laughs> just make sure you don't get in the telepod, Mikey. Oh, but go ahead. Shoot, shoot. Yeah, yeah. No, I just want to mention, uh, this is our shameless plug for iTunes reviews. Um, so I know a lot of you have, and we really appreciate it. But this is the thing that really, really helps us. And this is the part that keeps us going, right, Maddie? We need... yes. We need to be found. You know, the more people that listen to us, uh, the more it motivates us to keep going and giving you guys content, you know, and we're Maddie and I are doing this for free. You know, we're doing this out of the love of horror and out of the love of of uh, of your your support, because you guys you guys keep us going and you make us feel great uh, when we see these reviews. So 
but th- leaving us an iTunes review is the way that we get found. Um, so we really need it from you guys. So if you haven't done it already, please, uh, if you have an iPhone, if you're a Mac person, uh, go on the podcast app and uh, you can write us a review, which is great. Um, but just make sure to click on the star rating. Uh, and if you could leave five stars, we'd really appreciate it because uh, it goes a long way. Right, Matt? It certainly does. Like you said, it helps us be found. And um, we love everybody. And we're, you know, we promise we're going to be pumping out more content. So if you're sitting there saying, well, if you guys want me to rate the show, then what, what show am I rating? There's no show out there. Well, there is. And it's here. And, you know, it's never gone anywhere. It's just, uh, you know, we have ebbs and flows of, of, of our life and our busy schedule. But we always, always working our butts off to put out the best content that we can for you guys. Yeah, we're always here for you. So I'd like to give, uh, Maddie and I like to read uh, some of the recent reviews. So I got one here from Miss Amanda514. This is back in uh, not too long ago, on February 11th, Maddie. And she says her title is Perfect for Horror Fans! Exclamation point. I like it. Uh, five-star review. She said, I really enjoy this podcast. It's one of my favorites for sure. Listen to them review and talk about all of these different horror movies is great. They're fun to listen to. I've also gone back to watch movies I've never seen or watched movies I've never heard of before listening to these guys. I recommend 10 out of 10 that you listen to this podcast. Ooh, so not that even, was really not nice. even 5 out of 5. She's got 10 out of 10. I know. I know. She's given us 10 and there's not even a 10 there. So Miss thank you, Miss Amanda. Ooh, you're, holding, yes. you're holding us up to a high standard. Standard, man saying perfect that's uh that's pretty yeah. you have to aspire to that mike so let's do it absolutely but that's uh that's great so maddie we're 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 this was kind of a podcast that you pitched um uh doing this class of kind of series this is the second in the series our, yes yeah and we you know we usually sometimes we do commentaries which people love and then um we do sort of these uh like top fives um but this was a, a, a thing that, that Maddie came up with doing a class of, which is kind of fun. So we do this a couple times a year, right? This is sort of... So far, uh, well, yes. Yeah, so, like I said, so far we've only done class of 98, and that was back in mm-hmm. July. So this will be the second one. There'll definitely yep. be another one this year. Promise. Yes. Yeah, which will be fun. So uh, so yeah, class of 86, Matt. Ooh, so where were you? This was... Uh, oh my God, in 86. Let me think. I was in fifth grade, I believe. So if you were in fifth grade, I was in sixth grade. Um, yeah, man, sixth grade. I, I don't know, man. I, you know what's funny? I don't think I saw any of these movies in '86, but yeah. I definitely saw them after. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, but what a great year for for horror. You know what I mean? It was. This was a tough list oh to narrow down because because we had to narrow this list down because you know we we only have a certain amount of time to talk. You know, so do you, do you want me to uh, do you want me to read through a list of some of the other films? Oh, I would love it. Yeah, okay, let's do it. Well, here's the thing. I really think we almost should have a little uh, disclaimer here and say that this is Class of 86, like part one or something, because there's just so many good films that came out in 1986. So some of the other films that, that, that we aren't going to talk about, but certainly um, are worthy of being spoken about, uh, Aliens, Chopping Mall. Great movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chopping Mall's fun. Critters, Deadly Friend from Wes Craven, Friday the 13th Part 6. The only reason we didn't talk about, we've talked a lot about Friday 6. We, oh it's one of our God. favorites, certainly one of your favorites yes. and one of mine um, of the series. And we actually did a commentary on it. So if you haven't uh, heard that one, go back and cue it up and, and listen to our commentary for Friday 6. Yes. Um, also, uh, another film 
which is one of our favorite, my favorite films of all time, is Night of the Creeps. But we've also talked, yep. we've also spoken about that at length. Um, mm-hmm. And thank goodness the Scream Factory just announced they're releasing uh, in May. It's coming out the uh, the new edition of that. I can't wait for the collector's edition of that. Can't wait, dude! It's gonna be so good. So we also have uh, From Beyond and mm-hmm. um, Night. Uh, like I said, Poltergeist Two, Psycho Three, Slaughter High, Terror Vision, Witchboard, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, Troll, Invaders from Mars, Killer Party, Sorority House Massacre, Vamp, The Wraith, Little Shop of Horrors. Holy crap! What a year! <laughs> so then you're saying it's to yourself, crazy. well, what does that leave for us? You know, what morsels, what crumbs could we possibly have to converse about, Mike? So, uh, you know, it, it, it's a good question. It's a very valid question. It is. Like with all we had those to narrow films, it down. Yeah, but with all those films, what the hell is left? Yeah, there's some good ones, though. There I really think there's are, some really you know? good ones. Yeah, and ones that we really haven't talked about, too, which I think right. that's kind of why that was the point. we sort of picked some of these, you know? Yep. Um, because, like you said, we've... Definitely talked at length about about some, you know. Yeah, using the but high school could, analogy, Mike. This is you know these are kind of the geeks of the in the high school. This is kind of the geek uh, click. I like it. I like it. It's true. You know, yeah. It's not the freaks. It's the geeks. Yeah, the geeks. <laughs> awesome. So, Matt, which film would you like to talk about okay, first? So, in I'd the like, class of '86 list for our class of '86. I'd like to start with uh, a film that was released on February twenty eighth, nineteen eighty six. Um, right, the last day of February. And it's a film called House. Roger Cobb has come here alone. Daddy? <laughs> but no one is ever alone. House. Enter at your own risk. Directed by Steve mm. Miner. And actually the story, if you know this, is by, actually by Fred Decker, believe it or not. Yes. And Harry Manfredini does the music, which is very, yep. very Friday the 13th-esque, uh, certainly in parts, anyway. Um, and it's a Sean Cun- Cunningham production, ooh, too. Oh, you, right? you almost went Christine there. I, I don't know. That pause kind of scared me. <laughs> you almost went uh, Buddy Repperton there, it sounded like. Uh, Sean, uh, what's his name, Mike? Cunningham. Oh, okay, very well. <laughs> not, very good. Not Cunningham. Oh, okay. Cunningham. All right. Yes. It, it says, you know, on the bag, it says, it says Cunningham. Anyway. <laughs> So this has one of my absolute favorite opening shots. Um, it's about a minute and 30 seconds long. But it starts with like that that weird, like neon-y, weird kind of like um, frame. Um, I don't know what you call it, but it's, it has like a weird filter on on, the, on it. And um, the camera starts at a weird kind of almost semi-Dutch angle on the house. And then the camera right. comes craning down into this floating Steadicam shot around the side of the house, through the gate into the backyard. And it's just a beautiful floating gorgeous steadicam shot and it continues wrapping around the back you know as the credits are rolling obviously and it's rolling around the back and it goes right around back toward the driveway and comes up the front where a delivery boy pulls up on his little scooter and as he grabs the groceries and he walks towards the door the camera backs away suddenly and quickly as if to say you know what dude you are on your own we're just going to stay over here thank you very much like something is wrong with that place right yeah, so I just love that almost that 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 real first that that subjective camera, um, you know that it's some yeah even the camera's like uh uh-uh, uh I'm not going into exactly this place. yeah I just thought that yeah. was so badass, very cool yeah um well that you know that leads us to that scene where he goes in and and he finds the aunt uh you know William Cat's aunt yes hanging <laughs> right uh, the delivery boy <laughs> finds her yeah I, I, dude I. 
I remember seeing that as a kid, and that was oh my god, that was like one of the worst things. One of those images I couldn't get yeah, out. Yeah, those of my hangings, head, you know? man. They one in Pet Cemetery too, when the uh, the cleaning lady who's like really su- super depressed and, and negative and stuff when she hangs herself in the basement. It's like that yes. similar scene, you know. It's it's does oh, it's just so brutal when somebody does that. It's oh. It's yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy. So, Mike, I mean, let, let's let's look at cast here, Mike. I mean, a who's who of '80s television. I mean, you have the you have the you know the indelible William Cat of Greatest American Hero, which ran from like '81 to '83. You yes, have uh, George Norm from Cheers <laughs> went, which which is I love how know, he's the neighbor. <laughs> oh, he's freaking great. And he's, that's that ran a whole eleven years from '82 to '93. Then you have Richard Mall yep. Bull from Night Court. Which also yep. ran from the uh, mid '80s to about '92. All three of these actors, Mike, have flirted with the horror genre over the years. I don't know if you're sure, if you're aware of this, but most memorably to me is the following: William Cat, uh, very well known as Tommy Ross and Carrie, I would think, right? Yes, and yes, his amazing white tuxedo and beautiful per- porn perm. Yes. Then you have George Went as Lou in nineteen, in, excuse me, in 2018's Granddaddy Daycare. Oh wait, I'm sorry, that's that's um, not horror, <laughs> but seems to be. Seriously, though, he, he did appear in some of the horror's most lauded series. Like, look, the relaunch in the 80s of Twilight Zone, he was in one of those. Yes, he's that's a, right. He's also in Tales from the Crypt Ooh. in the early 90s. And, Mike, Showtime's Masters of Sex. Oh, I mean, Masters of Horror, sorry, in the 2000s. Yes. Uh, he wasn't in Masters <laughs> of Sex. So, um, I mean, look at the, the what touch-tone series in horror. I mean, Twilight Zone, Tales from the Crypt, and Masters of Horror. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Yes. So he's no stranger. That's... No. And Richard Mall, if anybody knows, is in the intro of a very uh, cool early 80s flick with Cooper Dick, Cooper Smith, uh, Clint <laughs> Howard, and that would be Evil Speak. He's the uh, Father Esteban in the waters in the beginning, like baptizing. Um, remember? Oh, really? Yes. He's also in Night <laughs> Train to Terror. That. That's funny. That beautiful, ridiculously awful movie you gave me the other day to watch, <laughs> Night Train to Terror. Oh, he's in the first segment where he's like a Oh, he's in killer. that too? Yeah, he's like the one who keeps like the body parts in the jar. It's like the serial killer. Oh, uh, okay. He's also in Scary gotcha. Movie 2 and Sorority Party. Sorority Party Massacre, Mike. Oh, God. that's That came out last year, right? Ooh, I don't know when it came out, but it, it should go back in. Um, <laughs> so, fun fact here, Mike. William Catt, yes. also the only dude in the world to be in both a movie and a TV show called House, because he was in House with Hugh Laurie, the, the medical drama that was on Fox. For oh, yeah. Um, by the way, uh, Kay Lenz, who plays Sandy. She also starred yes. in a TV show called in TV show House in in the next uh, the se- a season after William Cat did. So that's good. That's kind of funny, actually. That is weird. That's random. That is bizarre, right? Yes. My favorite one of my favorite early scenes, Mike, is the book signing scene. Do you remember that one? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I I just I love that. You know how he's a horror author, right? Of, of course, of course he's a horror author. And he yes, tells the yeah. one guy he's going to write about his personal experience, and, and what does the guy do? How does he react? I forget. He's what does he say? He's like, oh, dude, he's oh. just like, oh, <laughs> he's like, oh, great, and he just totally lets, like, he just totally like puts his heart on his sleeve. Like, yeah, man, I'm gonna write my personal experiences in Vietnam. The guy's like, he's just so disappointed. Oh. I know. Yeah, he's so bummed out. Um, Matt, the one thing I love in this movie is the one scene. Uh, maybe it's in multiple scenes, but William Cat is wearing like the deepest V-neck sweater Mike, I've ever seen in my that life. That V-neck sweater <laughs> that Roger wears. Is so low cut. It's a lost classic. I, I, I'm gonna scour like, what do you call it? Thrift shops everywhere looking for this thing. I mean, it is like a, Dude. it's like a glorious Sassoon, or it's like some weird friggin'. 
it's so deep cut V. I'm like, he makes Larry from Three's Company look like he's like impeccably dressed, you know? I know, dude. It's 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 a ballsy move, dude. It oh really my is. God. And he first meets Tanya that way, the one she jogs by. She sees him with that V-neck yes. sweater, you know? Yes. So what do you think Speaking of the v- of- what do you think of the Vietnam scenes in this film? See, this is the part that uh, rewatching this Matt to get ready for this podcast, yeah. I I just didn't love the Vietnam scenes. I don't know. Did it get like too lightweight the- for you? Yeah, maybe. I don't it just it just didn't I don't know. Like I get what they were doing with the juxtaposition and setting up, you know, the whole you know, living with his, trying to fight his demons and his yeah, monsters. and he's writing but, it. Yeah, he's writing and remembering, yes. Yes, but every time those scenes came up, I was like, <sighs> you know, okay. that's the one part that took me out of the yeah, film. I guess you know, totally, I all the house stuff. Yeah, totally it's a little, I guess it's a little different for sure. Yeah, no, without a doubt. But um, I don't know, man. I It it, it doesn't bother me. I, I really, I enjoy the hell out of this movie. I don't I don't get snorry vibes from it. Um, But I do get mega evil dead vibes from this movie, like totally evil dead. Oh, vibes. yes. And um, what's Peter Jackson's 1992 film with the guy gets the lawnmower in his house and, and he picks up the lawnmower. He's like chopping through like the zombies that are coming at him. Dead alive. Dead alive. Yes. yes I mean, yes. I get some of that like on a, light, a much lighter note, though, not even near as graphic as Dead Alive was, but I get some of that vibe, too. But the monster popping out of the closet, the marlin flopping around on the wall mount, um, his wife Sandy, when she comes in and she's like suddenly turns into that, mon- when she goes under the table and she comes back up and she's that horrific, fat-looking monster thing. Well, can we talk about that real quick? Because I, I, I had this, I, I made a correlation that I thought was really funny. The the Sandy monster, I just, I love the, the, the look of it's that so monster. It's so Sam Raimi-ish, though. It really is Evil Dead, man. Go, go ahead. Yeah, but it's like it's like that monster is is like uh is like the wife of Chet from Weird Science. Yeah, a little- <laughs> remember when Chet turns into the monster yes. at the end, or up, you know what I mean? When Lisa, yeah, what's up, dudes? It's like it's like they're like the perfect couple, those two. Oh, you know, that's great. So the Sandy monster and Chet, dude. I'm uh, telling you, match made in heaven. That is beautiful. But I mean, come on, yeah, that's it was a great. Great makeup though, and uh, the way, you know, but the tools, come on, like the tools flying in the shed, flying off the rack at him. I mean, come on, like you no, can see, Bru- like where's Bruce Campbell paging Bruce Campbell? <laughs> Seriously, it really is. And then like, it's so like Evil Dead. Oh my god! I and mean, when Roger picks up the axe after his hot neighbor leaves, and he lets out this manic, crazy little giggle, like you see, like you see, like, you see like fifty holes in the ground in the backyard, like all dug up. <laughs> Dude, it's so Bruce Campbell when he, he's like, <laughs> it's just weird. You gotta watch it because yeah. it's priceless. I mean, William Cat goes so it's so great. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a crazy roller coaster ride. And Sandy's for, hand for stuck on um, little Robbie, little Tanya, when she brings a little son over. Oh, it's, that's the best. Oh, it's dude. bizarre, but it's it's so funny. I love. Uh, I totally forgot. Uh, did you play with Masters of the Universe when you were a kid? Yeah, a little bit. They had uh, the he had that toy Buzz Off or whatever, yeah. which is like one of the characters from Mess of the Universe. I'm like, oh, I had that when I was a kid. It was funny. It just uh, oh, and Robbie was playing with it. Uh, yes, yeah, Robbie, right? Yes, Mike. I tell you, when Roger dresses up though in his fatigues to catch the monster, Manfredi- yes. Manfredini's music is like this playful military. It, it reminds me of you know with little rock and roll bursts and stuff. He's tucking and rolling around, you know. Um, only to spill out the door and, and triumphantly meet uh, George Wentz standing there looking at him like he's a friggin'. <laughs> but but it reminds me of the music. It reminds me exactly of the that little geeky dude, the paintball scene in Friday Six. Speaking of 1986, yes, right? it's totally. It, it's like Manfredini like almost used the same theme in this part, right? right? And then of course well, you know, sure. the other one turns yeah. way. You know this is this is lighthearted and fun. The other one's like, oh my god. 
And he's like freaks out the guy, the paintball guy. Um, guys, he's after me. Oh my god! But it's Mike. If you watch it again, um, the, the music is—it's absolutely uncanny how how close it runs to to you know Friday Six. Yes. No. It, it's it's very very close to that. The music. Yeah. I never thought of that before. So um, um, go ahead. The, the the just you know I'm jumping ahead here, but the, I had some issues with this film, and one of them being how the ocean comes in at the end, like the the. The ocean and the ending, like, why would the ocean be a part of his house? Like, with I don't understand. With the cliff, understand. you mean, and, uh, and that all Yeah, stuff? like, right. What? What is that? Where did that come from, and how does it's, it relate? I like, don't know, Mike. It's just a chasm of his own guilt and 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 uh, regret from the past. I guess it's it's a meta it's a metaphor come to life. I guess it's the best was, I could you do. Know, certain parts of the film to me, it just it just pulled me out. And rewatching this. I really, really, you know, as a kid, I remember liking it because it was just sort of like a fun ride. But seeing it now, I don't know, man. It, it didn't, just didn't hold up, up for you. me. No, it didn't. Dude, I'll tell you it what didn't. held up for me, though. I mean, I'm going to I'm disagreeing with you for, for, for definitely for some point, because I think it's a fun movie. I think it's lighthearted. It's not nearly scary in, in any regard. And it's it doesn't try to be. I think it really kind of goes for the happy death day to you vibe. It sounds like I didn't see it, but what you were describing. Right. That it right. really it, it's you know, it's little gory here and there not really but um the little subtleties of when first of all the the, the when the the scenes any conversation between Harold uh, which is George Wenscar his neighbor and him yes. and him so the one of my favorite scenes and it's such a i mean kind of screeching halt talk about the the scene you know to the film <laughs> to a screeching halt but he comes over like almost like for a midnight snack you know consisting of a tray full of beers and you know he scares the shit yes. out of Roger who's you know, he's preparing his lights and his cameras, right? He's trying to yeah, deal with the monster. Yeah, to deal with the monster yep. in the closet, right? Mm-hmm. And and Harold, this beautiful, what a great line. It just sticks out in the middle of it. He goes, solitude's always better with someone else around, right? <laughs> I mean, what a great freaking line, right? That that's that's not a throwaway. That's like gold, man. <laughs> um, but they're classic. I mean, these two, like you put them in a, in a comedy somewhere or in a bar somewhere and just have them talk for like an hour, it would be, it would be, captivating um, no i love i love their relationship for sure and, that's one of the, those the scenes, redeeming qualities yeah of the film. and those scenes made me think of the burbs honestly it gave me a burbs yes. vibe when they're having those conversations those neighborly discussions it's like oh my god this Absolutely. could be a chunk of that film right yeah so <laughs> roger's trying to tell harold that the house is haunted and harold has this like little cocktail fork this is when they're down in the kitchen after after he turns all the lights off and he scared the crap out of him they he goes down and, and he okay he, un, he unfurls some of the beers and they're having this food and Harold Harold George Wynn has this little cocktail fork that he's eating with and he's stuffing food <laughs> into his mouth and then Harold says he saw a ghost that he that opened up the closet door and you know it reached out and it tried to grab me and then he grabs what do you call it William Cat like grabs Harold's wrist as just as he's trying to shove this food into his mouth and he's preventing him from yeah. putting a little cocktail fork into his mouth <laughs> and George Wynn's face is like this little pleading thing like Come on, man! I just want to eat here, man. He's I know he's like, it. just let me let me finish this. And he keeps freaking, <laughs> he keeps trying, but Roger keeps keeps him from eating. Mike, it's so goddamn funny, man! It's such oh, a it's great. it's it's beautifully executed by these two guys. Um, I just think this film has a, I think it has a big heart too. How it reconciles Roger's plight with his family and finds his son. I just think there's some really heartwarming stuff, you know. It, and I like how the house itself, like you said, you like the house. I agree with you. I like it, yeah. How it kind of feasts hungrily upon his guilt. Like you know what I mean? It's feeding off Roger's guilt. Like that's that's pretty much what's what's thriving, what, what's keeping its motor running, right? 
Like yeah, absolutely. You know, his not only his failure to to help you know Big Ben Richard Mullen in Vietnam, but the guilt over his failed marriage, the guilt over the, how his son got went went missing, got abducted. You know, all this stuff. It's yeah. like nothing but guilt for Roger, and the house right. just it just eats it right the way yes. the way Harold can't eat with his little cocktail fork. And um, so, you know, a couple last thing here, the the way um, much of the strange episodes, you know, they're manifestations of Roger's fear, I think, mixed with his guilt. And the house is just completely manipulating all of it, which is kind of, you know, and I agree with you in a, in a, that, that, that the ocean part and the cliff kind of does jack up the fantasy level just a little bit too high, I think. Yeah. Um, but I like how Roger fights back. Um, I like the Tanya character and but i don't think she's as developed as well i don't want to say developed she's very well developed but she's not as developed um (laughs) character wise as maybe she could have been um but i think this movie's fun man for me i i I enjoy this film and i i would definitely you know want people to check it out and give it another shot no it's definitely if you haven't seen it it's worth a watch just for me you know from what my you know remembering it as a kid it was definitely like a, a bigger film in my head than seeing it now you know just like I said the Vietnam stuff took me out that whole ocean part at the end and the cliff it just was like what you know I get um, it. yeah but it's good hey Matt I don't think I've ever seen House 2 have you? yes the second story it, I've seen it what so happens? long ago I can't even tell you dude I haven't seen it in so, like 25 years William Katz not in that I one? I don't think he's in that at all, no. So it's just the house again I think it's, or something? I want to say it's like Jeff Fahey or somebody from the guy from The Lawnmower Man. I want to say, but I don't know. I, I you, you threw me here and I am not wasn't prepared for it, but I, it's not No, it's no, not that's William fine. Katz. I was just, yeah, but it's like, it's the same house? That's not, again, I don't want to speak, you know, yeah. unless I know what I'm, 100% what I'm talking about. Interesting. That's cool. No, I was just curious because I, I, you know, I totally know I mean, what movie. a great I title though. I remember I mean, if, the second story. I know, the it's second story. And I love how they throw it into uh, Scream 2 as well. Oh, man. I mean, but but like the title is loaded. Like the second story, the second actual story that they're telling, the second yes. story. The, like it's perfect. I know. It's great. It's really good. So we got to jump because we have uh, a lot to talk about here, Mike. And, yeah. Uh, we dwelled on What are we house. talking about next? That's the longest everyone's ever talked about 1986's house. So we're going to go to a film that was released in August 15th, 1986. David Cronenberg's The Fly. Oh, yeah. There is a limit, even to the imagination, where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Help me. Please help me. This freaking score by Howard Shore in the opening credits. Oh my God. It's humongous, man. It feels like it feels like a classic fifties golden age of cinema. It's that freaking big, like like almost like Hitchcock, like like I don't know, man. Like a a little bit of Herman at George uh, um Bernard Herman, a little bit of huge classic golden age Hollywood cinema, particularly the opening credits. Very reminiscent of Reanimator too, right? Yes. The the, the score to yes, Reanimator. True. Reanimator. Yes. It's very. As soon as I heard it, I'm like, these two scores are very similar. You know. And Mike, I mean, let's point out that the cinematography, Mark Irwin. I mean, this guy. You want to talk about a seasoned cinematographer? This guy did Scream, right? 
Yes. He did mm-hmm. some Farrelly, Farrelly Brothers flicks. And, um, you know, he, he also did Freddy Got Fingered. So this guy has seen pretty much... <laughs> he's run the gamut. He's done it all. Yeah, he's done it all. <laughs> not sure he's proud of it all, but he's done it all. I mean, yes. at least he got paid. Yeah. Matt, the, the one thing I love about this movie, and I really do like this movie... This is one of those, you know, you know how we always talk about story Mike, and screenplays. starting immediately. Boom. It gets right into the I mean, story, you right? you see him and it's like, immediately, he's, you know what he's doing. He invites her right back to his freaking house. He meets Gina Davis and you're in the There's middle no of their fluff. conversation. There's nothing. It goes right. I love it, dude. I'm, it just gets right to it. Boom, boom, boom. First words. There's no... What am I working on? Uh, it'll change the world as we know it. And then within a minute, they're heading to his apartment in his car. I know. I know. It's brilliant, dude. I love it, dude. It's so great. No no wasting time. No no wasted shots. No... You know, it was... Oh, so brilliant. I love it. And listen, you... I, I know... I mean, David Cronenberg is a master. And I mean, you talk about The Dead Zone and you talk about um, Scanners and The Brood and all these other films he had done at this point. I mean, this movie is... I mean, I don't know how much he let... Um, Jeff Goldblum be Jeff Goldblum, but when he gets back to the apartment, I mean, what an odd character Seth Brundle is. I mean, this guy's an enigma wrapped inside a mystery, wrapped inside an enigma. Like, well, he's a he, geek. I know, we know, but he sits and he plays the piano. Like, if you're her, you would freaking be like, I'm in a serial killer's house. I need to get out of here <laughs> immediately. Like, you know, Seth's like, and even the words he uses, you've seen too much. I, 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 can't, I can't let you leave. And it's like, <laughs> she, she, but, I know, she, but she's I know. so taken with him. That she's just curious, she right? She is, she's like, man. What he is really knows how to about? charm the ladies. Well, I mean, this guy, I mean, come on, you've seen too much. I, I can't let you leave. If that's your like way to like get a girl to stay, I mean, listen, he's already got his web spun. And, you know, he's, this isn't Spider-Man, but he's, he's you know, <laughs> amazingly seductive. Mike, I swear, it turns seductive so quickly. Like, Veronica takes her pantyhose off. It's got, I swear to God, it's such an innocent yeah. moment, but it's, oh my God, is it so sexy. But Matt, you have to jump back because when they're in the car, there's a line that uh, that that Brundle says uh, that's just so amazing. He says something about motion sickness and how he hates yes. vehicles. Yes, dude, come on! If that's not like foreshadowing of you know like what's about to happen, oh and yeah, he hates vehicles, but he's an inventor and and he um, invented a, vi- uh, a vehicle that can displace exactly um, objects or you know yeah yeah exactly. Uh, I just thought that was brilliant. Teleport you know, them, screenplay wise, oh, dude. Foreboding. We talk, for, you know, we talk about the, uh, you know, we talk about foreshadowing all the time. Yes, totally. But um, I, I don't know, man. I just, I, you know, Cronenberg. People say Cronenberg, Cronenberg. You know how his work is cold, um, and and it's not warm. It's not emotional. The relationship between Veronica and and Seth, man. I, oh my God, when they're just sitting in his apartment and they're having those little moments, and she's taking her pantyhose off so she could show her how. You know, he wants to show her how the telepods work. Just when they're the way they're looking at each other, Mike, they don't have to really. The way he's looking at her and she's looking back at him, it's just something so erotic about it and so sexy about yeah. it. I can't, I can't describe it. Like, I'm not trying to get off here on the podcast, but I'm just saying it's just something really innocent, but yet so damn sexy and erotic. And, and there's such rare chemistry between these two actors, especially in those early scenes. No, they're they're like uh, yeah. You could just tell that they're like kind of you know kindred spirits meant to be together. You know. I mean, later I would disagree because I think later on, you know, when the actual you know f- sex takes place, I mean, there's nothing sexy about it whatsoever. 
Like, well, me, especially. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to. I mean, we'll get there, but I'm just saying, like, to me, this early stuff with her taking her, just innocently showing yes. a little bit of skin. I mean, this is the sex scene in the beginning. It doesn't. Later on, when they're actually banging for hours or whatever, that there's nothing sexy about that. Like, I don't even care. Like, it's like okay, we're we're going moving on to the next. But um, so go ahead. What were you going to say? No, just the sex thing. You know, if if you don't want to get, we can wait. But I just he does this weird breathing thing when he's like <laughs> having sex. He's like, eh, oh, eh, ah, eh. it's like it's like he's about to have a heart attack, but it's like a gentle heart attack. It's, it's very dude, strange. There's no there's no pleasure involved in this at all. It's like he's panicked, but he's enjoying himself. It's and she doesn't really seem to be enjoying strange. herself really either. She's just tired. Yeah. <laughs> She's just plumb worn out, man. I I don't know. Oh my gosh. Oh god. Oh dude, I I mean this you want to talk about it now this I would very, very honestly say that this is this is definitely the most this is the sickest movie we're gonna talk about. I mean this movie is unbelievable. It's so gross. But it's so goddamn good. These special effects are just incredible. Unbelievable. Like when he turns the baboon when he reintegrates the baboon and he's inside out. Oh my god. That poor baboon. And then, so um, sad. Oh my God, Veronica's line. I'm, uh, she's when she's pitching to that um, her Stathis, her ex lover, her editor. Uh, yes. I'm finally onto something big, huge. What his cock? <laughs> 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 There's another foreshadowing moment, Matt, that I love, and it comes from Veronica as well, where she says, uh, she says, uh, she's when she's talking about her boss or ex lover, yes, you know, residue of yes. an old life on my shoe. Yes. I have to scrape it off. Um, great line. Be free of it. Yeah. For be free of it once and for all. I was like, Oh my God, that's so great. That is excellent. Know? Oh man. Yeah. I mean, this movie plants those little seeds, man. And, and I tell you, you don't get all the fruit maybe the first time you watch it, but when you start to collect those little bits, man, it's really good harvest, man. It's beautiful. It just so no, pays it's off. It's good. You know? Yeah, totally. So I just wanted to, the special effects crew was like Lewis Craig, Ted Ross, Creature Effects, um, Chris Wallace. I mean, they they just hold up so they're staggering. They're just gorgeous. It's brilliant, dude. It's it's so brilliant. It's unbelievable. Any effects artist that's doing practical stuff, I'm sure, has watched this movie to uh, to just be in awe of it. You know, it's, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, a couple more key scenes uh, in the kind of toward the middle here, where Seth realizes how much how athletic he is and how much intense stamina he has like and veronica's yes. watching when she's watching him quietly though and he doesn't know that she's there yes there's something really beautiful and 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 you know creepy about that but it's so good man she's just watching him and he doesn't know and he's just like kind of flying around and you know someone who had no knowledge of the source material could be misled at this point like oh it seems like it's going to be a superhero film maybe or you know at right. this moment you're like oh this is like lighthearted I mean, how wrong would somebody be if they stopped the movie right there and just said, oh, well, I know where this movie's going. It's Ant-Man and the Fly. Um, No, it isn't at all. You know what I thought it was, Matt? When I was watching that scene when he was doing the gymnastics routine? What did you think, Mike? I thought I I was watching another movie from 1986, a little movie called American Anthem. Oh, American Anthem. (laughs) Remember that flick? I do. (laughs) I just that's it I was like wait am I watching the fly or am I watching American Anthem you know especially when he's swinging on the bar you know <laughs> he is man he's doing another a little another classic from 86 Olympic you know? training yeah love that movie Mike I tell you David Cronenberg you know he's known for body horror and to me I, I realized something watching this I realized that more than anything 
what really yeah. irks me, what makes me turn my head and way and not watch it. It's not even an axe being buried. It, body horror, like when he when he pulls, he does this thing where he pulls his fingernail off. It's really innocent. Oh, it's God. innocent, but it's not that. Oh my God, Mike, I can't watch it. I mean, it's so gross. But then dude. again, you know, I, I I turn away when Daniel Stern steps on the fucking nail in Home Alone. So, yeah, yeah, totally. That's I, bad. I really I can't watch those things. Oh, it's so gross. It's just so disturbing. Oh man, it's incredible. Um, it's incredible. Oh, it's incredible how compelling and nail-biting a scene between a man and his computer can be. But you remember that scene when Seth is asking the computer like what he is and about the, fl- the Seth Fly fusion? and Yes. The way the music is behind it, the soundtrack, it's incredibly emotional. The power of that scene, it's like it's an, it, the music, t- it just turns it up to like a thousand. It's enhanced a hundredfold. And it's just a guy asking questions to a computer, but it's so freaking compelling. It's amazing. Yeah. No, it's great. It's so good. Um, you know, the, one of the scenes from you talked about the fingernail scene, but the scene that shortly after that is when he reaches up to his ear, his ear and his falls ear just, off. Yes. Oh my God, dude. I could, I couldn't, it's just so disgusting. It's so disturbing. Or his, uh, his medicine cabinet full of body parts, yes. how he saves everything. Yes. Oh my God. The, the Seth Brundle it's, museum, whatever, whatever he calls uh, it. It's freaking classic. Yes. It's so gross, dude. Oh museum my God. Museum of curiosities or whatever he calls it. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. It's so disgusting disturbing but yeah but him uh, well first he regurgitates as he's pulling he pulls yes. his ear off but then but the beautiful thing is that the uglier he becomes like she still goes to hug him like she still wants to get close to him yeah i know and touch she's him and she, yeah. like she's not turned off by it because she still sees like the human behind what he is and she's to me that, that was amazing um and the dream sequence of the birth oh my god oh god another scene that oh so gross oh that is so just, disturbing i mean it's, it's like if if you didn't think it was gross enough, um, when he, oh Mike when he burst that that there's one jump scare scene when when he bursts through the window at the hospital, yes when she goes for the abortion, yes oh my god that scared the crap out of me I mean, I can't unbelievable dude and unbelievable. we we do get a happy but ending I... here though Mike don't we yes <laughs> of, we do of sorts uh huh <laughs> oh man I'll tell you this movie it's it's a love story which is. It really is. Really the thing that I can think it gets lost pretty easily. It's chock full of emotion. Like I said, people criticize Cronenberg for being cold, but this this movie has a lot of warmth to it, I think. No, it's all love, dude. It's all love in this film. And I think he's way ahead of his time, Cronenberg, with this movie. How some of these lessons and meanings about, you know, how science um, and technology is, is dangerous and, you know, love makes us do crazy things. And the dangerous technology, think about it, Mike, Jeff Goldblum, sheds his humanity literally and physically you know think about the people on social it makes me think of like social media like the the abusers who are just kind of yes. like shells of themselves and they don't realize you know they send those messages out and there's, there's no emotion to tat like it just it seems right. like they become these shells in essence i'm not trying to like proselytize here or try to like you know get on my soapbox or anything but i think cronenberg's so ahead of his time because this movie if you think about it it's more you know resonant now i think and meaningful now just as meaningful as it was back in 1986 if not more so no, you're you're right, Matt. It's true. It really is true. And it it like you said, it really is just a story about love. What she does for him at the very end, you know what I mean? That's like true love, you know what I mean? She didn't want to see him suffer, so she said this is the only way, you know, that that uh that I can truly love you is to set you free, you know? And he does and he loves, you know, he's in love with science. And um Yes. And you know, interacting with a machine ultimately it was was something that he did, and I guess more than Gina Davis, we kind of was with love. But certainly, he at the end, you know, he he asked he asked her, and, and she 
conceded and she didn't want to, like you said. But it's it's a pretty intense, but a pretty, you know, heartwarming, if you want to call it that in a twisted way, kind of a moment, you know. Yeah, and what led him into the machine in the first place to test it? It was out of jealousy, remember? Correct. She left. And, yes, yeah. correct. Oh, my, that yeah. arm wrestling scene in the bar was pretty freaking spectacular. Oh, my too. God, I forgot to mention that, too. Yeah, that was ridiculous. And I love how that girl just left with him anyway. <laughs> she left with him anyway. <laughs> I know, that's so funny. It's great, dude. Oh, I love and, it. And the sex scene with her is not that good. Either. I mean, it's, believe me, there's nothing sexy about the sex scenes. If you no, want to watch sexy no, in this all. movie, watch the first 10 minutes because it's so goddamn erotic. Yes, and then it all goes out the window. It's all Or gone. it all goes into the telepod, whatever you want to call it. That's it. Yes. Well, I I really like this movie, Matt, rewatching it, you know, as a, you know, House not so much, but The Fly, it was such a fun revisit for me and um like I said, I just love this. I love a good story and that the whoever wrote the screenplay, did Cronenberg write the screenplay? No, this is a, obviously no. this is the remake. Um No, he did not. But but I'm I'm curious to watch the original and see if it still has if it has that great tempo, you know. I don't know, man. Original, you mean the Vincent Price? That th- this one has. Yeah, I wonder if it. If I haven't it, watched it has that, that in so long, but I'll tell you what, Mike. I know I'm, it's. I'm going to venture to say, and I haven't seen the original Fly in a long time. I'm going and saying that this remake is superior film. It's just. Oh, I would. It's think a masterpiece. So. It's a freaking masterpiece. It is. It's just just like I said, just the pacing of that screenplay alone. It's just so well done. You know what and I mean? The, On the page, it's perfect. The dialogue is great too. I mean, the science is not boring and everything. It's just it's no. it's really good. No, and it's not overdone with the science and the technology, you know, even in 86, you know what I mean? It's it's really well done. I loved it. Yeah, man. It's great, man. This is not, good, that's good a film. that's a slice of 1986. <laughs> nice. So where are we going next, Maddie? Uh, well, we're going to go to a film that was released the week before House in February 21st on 1986, and that would be The Hitcher. Heading west on a long, lonely highway, only his dreams for company, until... My mother told me never to do this. Before many miles, he'll wish he'd taken his mom's advice. When Jim Halsey let the hitcher into his car, he opened the doors of hell. For the hitcher. What do you want? I want you to stop me. Now, I mentioned Rutger Hauer, John Ryder, his character he plays in the Christmas episode. I gave him a gift um, back in the day when we did that. So Mm -hmm. you go back and listen to that episode. But um, Yes. Mike, to me, this is the pitch meeting, right? I always felt like this is the film that asked the question, what if that maniac driver from Duel got out of the truck, stuck his thumb out, and hitched a ride on an unsuspecting C. Thomas Howell? Tell me that's not the freaking great pitch for this movie. Because remember, yeah, totally. you don't really see the driver in, in, in Duel, right? Steven Spielberg's film. You just see no. that menacing truck always in the rear view. He's always there. He's always there. Yep. So it just, just felt like, what if that guy got out of the car and then stuck his thumb out and went and, and hitched a ride? Like, this is Rutger Hauer, it's like, you know? It's like a direct sequel. Kind of cool, right? Yeah. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, it pretty much. It could be the sequel to that movie, for sure. Yeah, I mean, sure. he, his performance is towering. It's It carries the film. I mean, the choices he makes as an actor, the way... That he a simple stare from him or like a smile misplaced, it can be much more devastating than any psychotic freak out, maniacal screaming fit, uh, you know, fit of rage. He he understood what Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Demi understood about Hannibal Lecter. They understood what Perk, Anthony Perkins and Hitchcock understood about Norman Bates. Like that understated in the way you, he plays it in every single scene. But there's this man. There's a raw ferocity and 
like a quiet terror to his presence. He exists and you just can't get rid of him. And that's just the bottom line. Well, dude, even off the bat, I think he's in the car. Doesn't he say something to, to Jim? He says like, why are you looking at me like that? Or so there's like a weird line. He says something strange to him or, um, I forget. It's just, he's just so odd right off the the bat. You know what I mean? Batman, but in the way he just smiles and looks at him from the passenger seat, it's so goddamn creepy. Talk about a movie that gets into it quickly, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what, I'm sorry, I said it backwards. Jim says, why are you looking at me like yes, that? Yes, he and does. And I think John, John says, just looking, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's just, just creepily very, looking. And, oh my God, so strange, dude. And right away, he's just like, you know, he reveals like that he's a nutball. It's not like he, he masks it. Like, he's not hiding anything. No. He wants to torment him with this knowledge, right? He wants to gain this this intense psychological edge over this this pure innocent, right, this kid. It's it's just from right from the start. I just wanted to know what his backstory was, and that's you know throughout the whole film, I'm just trying to like understand why. You know that that was my question the whole time watching this movie again. It was why 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 what? is he this why he's doing this to him? Why you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I think um, Jim Halsey wants to know the same thing. But I again I just I, I think this is so smart this screenplay because I don't know that the why might be the MacGuffin. Like it's more like. Holy shit, like, his character, John Ryder, just is this danger. He represents unpredictability, like, how it just appears when you least expect it out of nowhere, you yeah. know? I think that's, mm-hmm. and that's the kind of the beauty of it. Like, it seems deep, or it seems metaphorical, and it is, but the way the screenplay pitches it, it's just a really scary, scary ride, right? And it's not... Absolutely. Yeah, we want to know why, but at the same point, you don't really need to know why. You just, you just want this guy out of this poor kid's life. Yeah, yeah. Um, Matt, you, you know, our one of our good pals, Kevin Williamson, you know, watched a lot of films to sort of write Scream, right? We, we kind of know that story about him. Oh, yes, uh, for sure. As a screenwriter. Yep. There's a line in this film that I'm very curious to know if, if Kevin watched this movie and got some inspiration for, uh, for Ghostface in the opening scene with Drew Barrymore of Scream. But he says that line, you know, I cut off his legs, his arms, and his head, and I'm going to do the same to you. Doesn't that, isn't that very reminiscent of Ghostface of, you know, like talking on the telephone yes. to Drew Barrymore? Yep, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Well, Kevin, you never know what, you know, he's a potpourri of, 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 of homages and, and, and references. So yeah, that could have been subconsciously planted anywhere in his brain and it would have surfaced, you know? Absolutely. So anyway, um, you know, again, evil, the omnipresence of evil, kind of like Halloween, you know, it's always around. It's always going to find you. It's going to eventually catch up with you even after you've seemingly defeated it, right, with courage, determination, in Jim Halsey's case, this desperate will to survive, plainly and yeah. simply. Um, but it adds up to the staying power of this film, Mike, and why it hasn't lost one iota of its bite in the near quarter century since it was released. No, not at all. Right? Oh, excuse me, did I say, no. did I say yeah, did I say quarter century? I meant 30 years, <laughs> 33 yeah. years, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Wow, it's man, so I mean, good, man. And, and so it's essentially a chamber piece. It's two dudes. It's a psychological drama dressed up as a slasher movie that unfolds between these two dudes. And then, you know, every other character, as good as Jennifer Jason Lee is, I mean, she's lovely as Nash, but every other character's kind of peripheral window dressing, if you think about it. Like, 
and it's not slighting her because she's she shines in everything. She's a fantastic actor, no, and she's, she's very great. good in the film. And, and the relationship her and Jim have is is cute. And it, but I think she's a little underdeveloped at 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 some point because it's really she just kind of exists as leverage for 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 John Ryder to have over Jim Halsey, right? right? And in the end, anyway, yes, yes. Um, and like I said, it's not her fault. She's really good in the small part that she has. But really, yeah. it's it's Jim and John. Right? That's that's it's the chamber piece. No, that's those the two. story. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, as John yep. Ryder tests him, and the body count raises, and the stakes are raised, you know, like I mean, think about it. John's like turned on, right? He's turned on. Yeah. But like every serial killer, he's turned on to the fact that Jim may be the one to stop him. Like, hey, you might be the one, dude. Well, let me see. Do you have, right. do you have it in you? You know what I mean? The other side of the coin. Like he's the yin like to his yang. He wants yang. to see it happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Unbelievable! Oh my god, um, the uh, dude. This, some key scenes for me in this in this film when he thinks he gets away from him, and then he's driving behind the station wagon. Yes, I love um, that. And they, the kid, that you see like the teddy bear, and the teddy bear moves, and you just see his face oh. in the back of the station wagon. Oh my god, what a great reveal! It is, man. It's so good. You know what's great is that the filmmaker really, he places us right, we're passengers in this car, and we are turned into yeah. prisoners as we have to bear mm-hmm. witness to this this illimitable darkness, like of John Ryder. Like, we're right there with Jim. We feel what he feels, you know? Yeah. That's the, the irony and the genius of the setting. Like, they take you and they establish right away, like, you're on this, Mike, think about it. The irony is you're on this open road in the American West, in the Midwest. It's this complete open, vast openness, Right. This stretch of country where anything's possible, but then how how lost and, and and you know huge the American West is. But then you're in this stifling closet, the same way that Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. is in that tiny goddamn closet mm-hmm. in Halloween. Yes, you know what I mean. It's that same that claustrophobia that the, here they are in this open road in this huge huge open space, and they're in this tiny. He's in this tiny closet, and he's trapped in this vast openness. It's just such a beautiful juxtaposition of. Of, of images absolutely dude it's 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 so true the um do you remember the gas station scene in this film oh yeah a little halloweenish right oh i was gonna say did, i was just waiting for loomis to step out and go michael <laughs> it's like, <laughs> michael! It looked like the same. it looked like the same exact gas station it may it's be so funny man. uh yeah dude what about be. what you about the know. french fry finger man oh the finger burger <laughs> oh <laughs> I like french to call. fry finger man i can't do it oh god crazy dude i tell you what I'm, I'm you know how big i am on french fries that's like my one of my weaknesses in life is eating french fries oh me me too but i'm i'm not gonna eat them from a roadside restaurant again after watching this movie again <laughs> i probably will i'll still do it. i don't know man but that teddy bear yeah that's that was that scene's class that's certainly one of the best ones it's really good yeah but what about, what about uh, the another, scene where he's being yeah. transported in the back of the cop car and then john pulls up like in the truck next to them and just starts shooting oh my like he's not oh safe. He's not even safe being a prisoner in the back of a cop car. Well, Matt, jump ahead. He's not even safe in the prison. He gets locked up in jail and he wakes up and the prison gate is open. I know. And he goes out and everyone's dead. A little Halloween uh, it, five. Yeah, exactly. There's there's another Halloween reference, but yeah, he's not even safe in prison. That's what's crazy. No. That's what you know. Oh my gosh, dude! You're right though. Unbelievable. But, but Jim's freak out after the after the cop scene where he blows them away they blow him away and he just drives away he gets out and he starts like throwing the sand around he's like no yes he just starts oh dude it's his freak out is hilarious it's great it's it's great but i i could see either one of us doing the same thing oh my god you know it's real it is it has that real factor because he's so frustrated he's like you got to be kidding me 
Yes. Oh, totally. dude. And then that, that scene in the in Roy's cafe where he's sitting at the booth and he's rubbing his face. And then John sits down. Jim's rubbing his face. And oh. then suddenly John just comes and sits down across from him. Oh, my gosh. And he points the gun at him. And he's like, and John's like, gun's empty. And Jim's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jim, my gosh. Jim's like, he's crazed. Like, his hair's all messed crazed. up and blown out. Like, he has these contorted facial expressions. Oh, they're so priceless. Yeah. Oh, my God. And he hands him the bullets in the in the napkin. It's just like. What about when he gets in like the bed he... with Jennifer Jason Lee? When oh, Jim's taking so a shower freaky. in the hotel? Yes. Oh, it's so freaky. Oh, my God. Terrible. Oh, God. It's unbelievable. So good, dude. So good. Hey, man. Some, even some Halloween 2018, you know, they, they can't, the cops can't hold them, you know? Yeah. Do we have to go there? He follows the bus, <laughs> you know, that's transporting him to John to the maximum security. It's the yes. same kind of thing, though, right? It is. Yeah, it is. Definitely. Um, one of the creepiest things that when he at towards the end when he's when they have him and he spits uh, when uh, Jim Jim yeah Jim, Jim spits Halsey. in John's face yes uh, and then John wipes the spit like yep he's kind of like wiping the spit on his lips like yes. oh my god I'm like dude this guy is insane he is he's totally mental yeah, and he's just living to like be a part of his life and and just have this this guy keep chasing him you know over and over again it's unbelievable. So listen, this movie predates all the references we're talking about here, pretty much. I mean, all the film, but then, but then the H four, dude, H four again must have ripped this too. Like, in addition to the garage scene, what about when Jim's trying to start the truck and he finally does and he rams him? Yes, it's it's exactly. And John like goes that. flying, I, right? Yeah, so funny. I'll tell you, man, it's hilarious. End, it's a great ending, though. John's like physically dead, right? But is he is he really dead, though? My, I mean, not, not to say his character, but. Like he's gonna haunt Jim for the rest of his life. Like even though he's oh, he might be dead, yeah, but absolutely. somewhere, someone else, somewhere else in the near future, he's John Ryder's out there. He's out there right now, even after the credits roll. Keep yeah, waiting it's to, crazy. Waiting to hit man. you ride into somebody else's car. Like seriously. Oh God, it's so scary. I know, man. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. What what a, I really enjoyed this this scene, this movie again. It was so much fun. Oh, I agree. Such a fun one. I agree. Awesome. All right, where are we jumping now, Matt? Oh, navigating our way through 1986. We're going to jump to summer, the warmth of summer. Ooh. July 25th, to be exact, 1986. Written, directed by an author you may know called Stephen King, Maximum Overdrive. Mm-hmm. Maximum Terror. Jesus coming in here. Is... Maximum King. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents... Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. Mike. So good. <laughs> the, I mean, this movie is a it's a mess, but god damn it. <laughs> it is glorious, like when you watch it. I mean, as a kid, I love this movie. Um the electronic billboard in the beginning announcing 79 degrees and fuck you. <laughs> And then Stephen King's cameo, like uh, that's oh, enough for it. me, you know. Yeah, and it's then great. At the and then the title ATM, flies. Right? Yeah, at the ATM, and the title flies in, and Brian Johnson's garbled rasp starts singing, <laughs> and then Angus is pulverizing us with his trademark pull-offs, and this party has officially begun. Mike, I am all in. It's so good, man. So good. The fact that ACDC did the soundtrack it is alone is so makes it an amazing good. film. Oh my god, yeah, so great. And the drawbridge sequence. Oh my god, it's so freaking funny. Oh, dude! It's so great. The setup, 
the setup to this movie, all the little vignettes setting up this, yes. you know, sort of machines, the aliens taking over the machines, uh, is just brilliant, man. Just absolutely brilliant. It's so funny. Yeah, I mean, um, the the drawbridge sequence with uh, a little bit of um, Final Destination Five going. That whole huge monk elaborate draw, you know, bridge sequence that they have in that film. This is kind of like the precursor to that, right? No, absolutely. But this one, but this yeah. one has something that the Final Destination Five doesn't have, Mike. This one has an ACDC van and watermelons. <laughs> That's right. So I uh, love the ACDC van, but forgot about the watermelons. Oh, yeah. the watermelons, Mike! So Come great. on. Oh, so good. And that soda machine. Oh, shooting the cans dude. out, taking oh, out half dude, the little that poor league coach. Team, plus the coach's yeah, balls. The little, yeah, and then the his coach's brain. balls is the best. <laughs> oh my, oh, my god. god. And I mean, that poor kid, man. The poor kid that gets ran over, dude. Come on. Oh, Mike. That poor bastard. That's so sad. <laughs> oh, and the, and the the wannabe thief that's in the truck stop uh, video game arcade. Yes, yes. And he's trying to make off with the coins and the cigarettes and the coffee, and you know, you know who that guy is, by the way. No, who is you that? watched Breaking Bad or you never did? Yeah, no, I did. Yeah, that's uh, that's Gus Fring, Mike. That's Gene Carlo Esposito, none, none other than Gus Fring on Breaking Bad, the bad dude. Really? Yeah, that's him. Really. Man. Was, oh wow! Yeah, he was in a lot of. Uh, after this, he did a lot of Spike Lee films, uh, "Do the Right Thing" and and oh. um, "Jungle Fever." He was in a lot of Spike Lee's early, late eighty and early nineties films. Interesting. Yeah, man, it's funny. That's him though, and he's like looking that's like kid, kid and play in the arcade. Yeah, that's Mike. So by funny. the way, the trailer for this film, you have to go back and watch it because it literally uses Halloween three season of the witch score in the trailer. No, it does not. I swear to God. Really, it's the music from. Halloween three season of the witch. Wow. How, how, ridic- got, how weird is that? That I never realized that before. I got to go watch it now. I guess they, they wanted to do, I mean, it's cool because I think like Stephen, Stephen King is in the trailer. Like he's like pitching it. He's like telling you about it. it's scary. Like, you know, he's right. like doing his thing, but you can hear the music, Mike. It's so fantastic. It, is it really it's Halloween three or are you just saying it sounds like No, 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 like no, no, it? no. It's absolutely for real <laughs> Halloween three's music. What, well, how like did John that John Carpenter happen? and Alan Howarth. I don't know if they licensed it. I don't know if I don't. At this point, I don't know if Stephen King knew enough about that. Maybe he just used it and he liked it and used it. Wow! But dude, I don't know, that's man. Wild. Yeah. So speaking of Stephen King not knowing uh, what, it, so do you know the story about the DP Armando Nanuzzi, the, the Italian DP that lost his right eye as a result of the out of control radio controlled lawnmower? No. Yeah, hit a block of wood and then that was supporting the camera and it started firing out wood splinters and it took out, uh, talk about life imitating art. You know how the machines go crazy? Well, yeah. that accident started spitting out wood, wooden like splinters from this piece of wood and a piece of wood like flew into the guy's eye. <gasps> and he lost the, he lost his eye? As a result, yeah. He sued the hell out of him too. I think they settled at a court or something. Wow, well, that's like his work, man. He's a oh, DP. No, he needs his eye. No kidding, man. How tragic is that? But Holy life, shit. Life imitating art, man. That's scary. That's some scary yeah. stuff. Yeah. Talk about the machines taking over. Jeez. I know, man. I know it's terrible. Wow. Matt, you know what I love about this movie is that it's, besides the intro stuff, obviously, uh, you know, we always talk about locations in films, but I love this location and I love that it's pretty much, you know, until you get to the end, it's just the one location of this truck stop. You know what I mean? Right. And then they, they, um, do, they do go through the, the, the sewer system to, to the other side. Or right. Whatever, but yeah, but it's pretty much the one. Right, but I just love that, and I love all the different characters, and you know what I mean? There's like all different personalities, and oh, it's Mike. just, uh, it's so clever. <laughs> Let's talk about the little the little character development. You have this, yes. that, that scumbag Bible salesman, he's pitching, oh, he's pitching his, um, his Bible speak to the few diner patrons. 
one second, and then he sees his car outside smacked, and the next second he he tosses the waitress out of the way and goes, out of my way, bitch. <laughs> yeah, he's dude, he's all over the place, flip-flopping all over the place, so funny. Oh, God. And then Hendershot That's taking great. his rocket launcher out and blowing up a few trucks, it's fantastic. Uh- <laughs> I know, like he just has all the stuff hidden away. It's so great. And he goes, he's just, he's where'd just you get all this it. stuff? Found him a Christmas stocking, Bubba. Oh my gosh, oh, great man. line, dude. Amazing, so good. And you got Emilio Estevez, dude. Oh, I Billy, right? Love his and Brett. Yeah, Brett. It's like cool a, how they, she has her name is Brett. I love that name. Yeah, no, it is cool. Um, yeah, he's like an ex-con, right? Is yes. that his character? Yep. Yeah, and he's sort of working. He's working, to trying work to get again. back into the workforce and reestablish yeah. himself. Yep. So great, dude. I love it. I think, uh, you know, if you read Under the Dome, there's a character, Barbie, uh, in that in that film, who's who's very similar. I think he almost developed uh, Emilio's character into a, into a deeper, more heroic even character than this one to, uh, to, in Under oh. the Dome. You should reread it. It's really interesting how cool. to, to see how, how a, an author does that. Um, reread one. it Matt that book is like 9,000 pages no it's it's a little more than a thousand but it's a very it's a really good read though it's pretty good no I know it's a great book but I'm just saying it's so long <laughs> but again I like I like the I'm, I'm so drawn as, as an adult to, to these quiet scenes between these characters like um, you know after Billy and Brett after they make love there and they're talking in the background the soundtrack is like that slow blues ACDC stuff yes um you know, and, and Angus Young's, oh my God, it's just beautiful, man. His vibrato just, just a beautiful vibrato. Matt, this whole time we haven't even mentioned the truck. We got to talk about it. Uh, are you talking about the uh, Green Goblin truck? Well, well, yeah, that's like the iconic image that everyone knows from this film, you yes. know, but it's interesting that we haven't mentioned it once yet, but that's uh, that's kind of the uh, the face of evil in this film, correct? Oh man, it's so great. He's like the ringleader of all the uh, all the other trucks and equipment, and you know. Yeah, man, it's 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 up to no good for sure. I mean, all these things are that little bulldozer, that little army military vehicle thing. That, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like the, the, my favorite part when that thing comes, that little thing, and then uh, the little army vehicle, and then that guy comes, he busts out of the back doors, and goes, "What the fuck going on here?" And he gets blasted <laughs> like Bonnie and Clyde. It's like this bloodbath. Oh my gosh, he gets torn apart. Oh my god, dude unbelievable and i love how that you know that it's interesting how like the um they sort of cooperate with the humans you know what i mean like the humans are sort of like filling because they need the gas and like the they leave them alone you know to give them the gas it's just interesting yeah, it is very interesting thing. yeah the human element to the trucks yeah i just thought that was kind of yeah kind of the emotion you know given almost emotion to the machines you know like how they're they need what they need and you have to give it to them and Almost like they're making yeah. demands, you know? It's kind of cool. Right. No, it's interesting. But yeah, this is such a fun movie. You know what I mean? It's definitely one of my favorites um, out of the ones that we're talking about tonight. Um, it's just super fun. You know what I mean? It's such a simple... And I love the ending, too. You know, I just love, uh, you know, uh, the, the kind of sailing off into the sunset. You know what I mean? And, and they're they're going to be okay. You know, it's just... Uh, Really, really great film. Oh, Mike, speaking of the Green Goblin truck, that, that the way end, man, after it plows down that guy who, like, hocks the dead yeah. woman, the dead woman's ring off her finger or whatever. Right. And, and then it hits him, and the blood's running down its mouth very briefly. <laughs> oh, it's spectacular, man. Oh, it's of course, so good, dude. Ten seconds later, Billy blows it up, and the movie's over, but... Yeah, exactly, but no. But, Mike, ACDC makes this movie even better than it is, too. Oh, totally. The soundtrack just makes it... I couldn't imagine anything else. Could you imagine it, like, just like a just like a basic score to this movie? I don't know. I, I just can't. 
No, they they totally knocked it out of the park, man. They did. Whoever, I mean, think about it. Yeah, they, they, there's no way that, that had they to were be skilled at King doing this. Must have thought sought them out, right? And oh, he said, did. This is how I see it. You oh, know? he definitely did. Oh, it's brilliant, yeah. He was, he was a big ACDC fan at that point. Brilliant, so great, Mike. Any, by the way, any listeners out there? Any listeners, Boy Scouts? Because I'm gonna uh, listen. No offense, if you are a Boy Scout or if you have little sons and uh, that are Boy Scouts or that you were in fact a Boy Scout at one time. And no offense to the sterling reputation of the Boy Scouts of America and their abilities to turn young boys into skilled young men, but no way in hell could the kid Deke hear beeping and translate it verbatim. Listen, <laughs> merit badge or no merit badge, I'm calling bullshit, okay? Well, what if he just got that marriage badge that week, Maddie? Uh, Mike, I'm calling bullcrap. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you make out of Lisa Simpson in this movie? Does she annoy the hell out of you, or does she does she not? I she didn't annoy me too bad. She annoyed you. Um, I'm kind of I'm in part. I'm all right. I'm in the middle. I'm fine with okay. it. Okay. I think it's what her annoyed character. what annoyed her about you? No, Just I mean the way I, she... her voice, I guess, a little bit. But I mean, that's her character. That's who she was. Yeah, that's that's her thing, you know. In all those '80s movies, that was her thing. That whiny, you know. You know, I can't even do an imitation, but I, I like that that couple. You know what I mean? I like that the newly married couple. I thought that was fun. I did too. I I enjoyed this movie as a kid, and I enjoy it still mm-hmm. now as an adult for sure. Yeah, no, it definitely uh, it held up for me. It was such a fun, uh, just amazing, amazing. You know, crazy, crazy movie, but so good. By the way, Especially how, the how did you watch it? Did you? Uh, I watched the Vestron uh, Blu-ray. What did you? What did you uh, watch it as? I I don't own this movie, but but I need to. Um, I rented it actually from iTunes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, my on my Apple TV. Yep. Oh, nice mm-hmm. man. Yeah, I watched the Vestron. Yeah. Be- the Blu-ray is awesome. Yeah, definitely need to get that uh, if it's still available. I hope it is. I but hope so too. Gotta, yeah, no, it's great. Awesome. So Matt, where are we going now, dude? All right, get in the car because we are uh, getting the telepod because we are going to go um, trans- <laughs> transport ourselves to March twenty sixth, nineteen eighty six. When a little film directed by Fred Walton, director of When a Stranger Calls, this one's called April Fool's Day. Paramount Pictures cordially invites you for a weekend getaway at the party to end all parties. Join eight privileged guests who are just dying to have fun. Get ready to party till you drop. You've been waiting for this moment for a long time, Mike. I have, Matt. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. Wow, man. That's a bold statement. Something about this movie. I just love it. It's just like the perfect sense of like a whodunit, you know, versus like a fun, entertaining horror film. The characters, you know, everything about it, dude. Another uh, another bizarre, tragic, uh, life-imitating art uh, incident from this film, Mike. I'm sure you read about this one. Uh, I think so. R- refresh my memory, though. So uh, Ryan O'Neill's son, Griffin O'Neill, who plays Skip in the film. Um, yes. You know, he's blamed for the ferryman getting hit you know, by the ferry and becoming mm-hmm. uh, badly disfigured as a result. In real life, after the film came out, um, he was all drugged up, I guess, and involved in a boating accident that actually killed um, Francis Ford Coppola's son, Giancarlo Coppola. Oof. And he was Oof. indicted on manslaughter charges. You know, Think about that. How freaking weird and coincidental is that? That's crazy. Crazy. Unbelievable. But um, 
But so anyway, back to the film, Mike. When that, Paralo- when that Paramount logo comes up at the top, man, it just feels like you're, you're going into a Friday the 13th film or something, you know? It totally does, yeah. And, you know, obviously it's not ironic that it's it was produced by Frank Mancuso Jr., who was the producer yes. of parts two through five and then part seven. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know one of your favorite parts, Mike. I'm going to try to predict a little bit of this for you from just the, <laughs> for the listeners here. How well do I know Mike? So Mike loves... <laughs> Mike loves when Muffy finds the Jack in the Box in the basement. That beautifully yes. innocent, that, that beautifully innocent theme that plays in the score. Oh, and how it flashes back to her receiving it at her tenth birthday party. Yes. Um, by the way, the, the composer is the Nightmare on Elm Street composer in Cujo, so it's kind of uh, really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Mike adores this location, folks. Yes, I do. Pacific Northwest, right? Yeah. A Canada, oh, Canada, Island? Yeah, Canada. Yeah, for sure. Right, yeah, it's supposed to be the Pacific Northwest, though, isn't it? Yeah, I believe well, so. Well, it looks like it looks that way anyway. It could be Maine, I guess, too. But um, yeah, yeah, what a great location. But yeah, get back to that scene in the basement, Maddie, because that's your. Well, you're go right ahead. About no, that. so go ahead. You talk about that a little bit. I'm just no, I'm just no, trying to call I just, what you love about it. No, I love it. It's just so great, man. It's just such a cool setup, and I love how it takes forever for her to wind that, and they keep cutting back and forth from her as a little girl, like you said on her on her tenth birthday. Yes. Um. And then she sort of pauses, uh, you know, Muffy pauses and you see the smile because she's anticipating. She knows what it's going to come as an adult, yep. you know, or as as this college girl. And then, uh, you know, they cut back to the to the young girl and there's like this this uncomfortable pause. And then the monster comes out of the jack in the box. Right. And you hear this this echo and sick, twisted laughing of her family. Right. And it just sets up that. Her family. This is her family. Their their family's so fucked up that they just scared the shit out of her on her tenth birthday. You exactly. know what I mean? Yeah. But you could see the the Muffy where she the comes adult, from, right? You could, but you could see the look on Muffy's face that she's almost like happy about it. You know what I mean? It's just it just kind of set set sets up the whole story that something's off about this girl. You know what I mean? And, There's and, something yeah, a little right. twisted. And she was raised in a in a family that that you know, where stuff like that happens, where, where the fun is yeah. kind of twisted away. And she obviously took some of that, a lot of that into her character later on, obviously. Yeah, no, absolutely. So good. So Thomas Feff Wilson, man, Mr. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Arch here. And he's, you know, he's, Archie. he's barely a shade away from being the second coming you know, white collar version of Biff Tannen. I mean, for sure. Here. Oh my God. Yeah. I think if you count how many times he flips his collar up, it's a lot. I'll just say that. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I was just expecting him to basically say, "Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here?" Yes. Oh God. Say hi to your mom for me. Say- <laughs> but oh man, so uh, well, dude. When Skip goes to the boathouse, that's a cool scene. Like in the dark, kind of like uh, you know, one. It's like a. It's kind of like a one eight hundred eighty degree version of shot of Bob in Halloween. Like he's yanked backwards oh, by yes. someone. You know what I mean? Instead yes. of being stabbed forward, it's like he's yanked backwards. It's almost like a weird kind of a right inverted scene. But that's kind of a, a cool thing. Um, yeah. And when Kit and Rob go there to the boathouse, I love that boathouse by the way. Cool little. Yeah, they it's go there so for a little cool. makeout session and maybe a little more. And then Skip's body, yeah. or, Gips, Skip's body uh, floats beneath the dock as Kit's laying there. Yeah, it you reminds see that, me of Sam face. from uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, Judy Aronson. Oh, totally. When she plays the prank on Sarah from under the dock. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, it is Paramount. Right. They borrowed each other's story a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just a couple of little. I know I like to find those little. Yeah, the boathouse reminded me of like Amityville Horror too. A yeah, bit, for sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought that was pretty cool. Um, dude, when you you mentioned the soundtrack, this soundtrack should be on vinyl, don't you think, Matt? Oh yeah, it's great. 
It's such a great soundtrack. I wish they released that and this movie on Blu-ray, which is driving me nuts. Yeah, what's We've going talked on? about what's it so going? many it's times. It's got to be a rights issue, man. I'm sure it is, but dude, this movie needs to be on Blu-ray with special features. Imagine interviewing a lot of the actors now. It you would know? be oh, fantastic, be so yeah. That would be so good, dude. I mean, Mike, the... <laughs> So getting into the actual film, these are some mm-hmm. pretty hardcore pranks, man. They are, dude. Like cold, some pretty messed up stuff. Like, I'll shit on your life pranks. Well, I think I know what you're referencing, the, the baby sounds. Oh, my God. Dude, that's so messed up, man. To that character, if she's pregnant, you know, to hear those sounds in her room. But, dude, how about the drug? Yeah. How about for Arts, the drug paraphernalia in his medicine cabinet? I know. I know, are dude. Are you joking, looking like heroin? Like, are you kidding me? I know. I know. The baby crying, though, that's the worst, man. Yeah, that one That one was messed up. And Muffy apparently was... was the only one who knew about that. Yeah, which that's, you know, obviously, you know, uh, you know, I think we've talked about this enough that if people haven't seen this movie, it's this is, you know, this is definitely uh, we're going to throw some spoilers out because this movie has a lot. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, please, I don't want to hold back. Please know that we're we're discussing this and everyone knows that we're just going to be spoilers all over this. Yeah, but this is definitely worth, you know, I, I have no offense on me if you turn our podcast off and go watch the movie and then come back to it. Please. This, this, this film is so worth it to watch without, you know, having spoilers, you know, uh, you know, ruined for you. Because yeah, so turn it this off movie, now. <laughs> Run. Run and turn it off. <laughs> and then come back. But uh, you know what I love, Matt, is, you know, the, the if you think of what Muffy has done, you know, what she's orchestrated, right, with yeah. this with this April Fool's Day weekend or this April Fool's Day get-together on this island, her acting, and, it could, you know, there's hints of that where uh, the girl, I can't think of the character's name, the one that is pregnant, but she said, oh, you know, I saw her, I was in this production, she's such a great actress, you know, but she does such a good job of going from this Muffy character into this Buffy character, you know, who's a little, you know, like crazy, and oh, she's... Yeah. Yeah, like if you watch the film back once you know the ending and you see her do this transformation uh, from the beginning of the film to like I think it's the one scene in the morning somebody comes in and she's in the kitchen and she like freaks out and she like runs out of the room like she does such a good job of going from this Muffy to Buffy character for sure um, yeah it's oh it's brilliant dude, dude it's so good my you ready for my favorite scene in this movie yeah what do you got it is just the greatest use of cross cutting I've ever ever in a in a film. It's when okay. so Kit realizes it's all been you know turn it off because you don't want to hear this. But Kit realizes <laughs> it's, it's all been one big elaborate prank, right? And yes. she sees everyone thought to be dead, and they're all socializing, they're laughing. It's that quiet scene where they're just you know and they don't even know she's. That's there. the greatest scene because it's it cuts, all quiet. And it cuts to Rob <laughs> in the closet screaming, "Kit, I love you!" <laughs> He's pounding on the freaking door completely. I love you. Oh! He's like screaming and losing his mind. It's the perfect like juxtaposition of images and quiet and rage scared yes. out of your brains. And then you know, Buck's in there with his fake prosthetic, which he then yes. and then he kisses. He puts him, it, he on, his it face. on his face. <laughs> <laughs> but but that scene when she walks in and realizes and they're all just sitting there, I love the sound design because all you hear is like the ticking of the clock, like really loud. It's just like tick. Oh, yes. And they're all just like flipping pages and like reading things. It's, oh, it's brilliant, dude. Well, it's, it's so almost, good, man. Yeah, because it's almost like, ironically, it's almost like missing time. It's almost like she was abducted or something in her life and it's sudden, here it's just, it, she missed some time and she just woke up and here she's, you know, it's like here she is, that everything's normal. And it's what had the hell it was, did we just experience it was, for the last, you know, day and a half or whatever? Yeah, I've been so lucky because my son Mikey's uh, 14. So I have this, he's at that age where I can watch a lot of these films with him. You're living this um, like every movie vicariously through him again. 
Yes. Yeah. But this movie especially was so great to watch with him because the whole time he's like, oh, it's, oh my God, she's she's the killer and blah, blah, blah. But when this scene came in, when she walks into the room and sees them all sitting there, he was like, what? What? <laughs> what? He was like blown away. And I, I was like so excited, you know, because I was just anticipating it the whole time. Oh, so it's such a fun movie to watch with someone that hasn't seen it just for that reason, because it's like the greatest reveal. I love it. So I'm going to play uh, devil's advocate here for a moment. Mike. Sure. And um, you're not mm-hmm. going to get mad at me personally, but um, never. I can see like the hardcore horror audience really feeling like a huge trick had been played on them as audience members when they got to the end of this movie, like sitting through all this. Yeah. And then you're like, wait. You mean nobody mm-hmm. died? Right. The, the, everyone's alive. This is a, like w- yes. what is this? Like I could like they felt duped. You know, like they were irate. Almost, I, I could see some of them walking angrily out of the theater, like being pissed off. Like that was the worst. I could totally see that. Like some some people saying that. I could, but Matt, they went to a movie called April Fool's Day. I know the, it's true. The whole premise of. You. It's like right in the title. It's almost like uh, the song I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. There is no Santa Claus. It's your it's your dad, you idiot. You know what I mean? Right. It's like it's right there in the title. So um, that's what I think is so brilliant about Me it. Me too. The, 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 trick the is title on basically yeah. tells you don't believe anything that's going to happen in this movie because it's all an April Fool's Day joke. Right. You know what I mean? But, but you're I thinking it's it. a slasher, but you're thinking it's a typical slasher. I know. Yeah. I know. And that's what's so great about it, dude. I love it. I love this movie so much. Yeah, man. Oh, it's so good. So good. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, listen, we've been waiting, we're waiting for that. So whoever, Scream Factory, Vinegar Syndrome, Synapse, uh, Arrow, whoever wants to put this Blu-ray out, man, uh, we'll be buying it. Well, I, dude, I guarantee we won't be the only ones buying it because I have a feeling that a lot Mike, of listen, people feel the same way. Listen, if Hell Night and the Initiation and Bloody Birthday can get releases, this I can know. get a release. I know. It's got to be a right. Paramount's Terror Train, right, come I on. I know. I know, dude. You got to get April Fool's Day out there. I'm staring at my VHS copy, and I was lucky enough to get the the DVD. I have the DVD of it too, you know, of April Fool's Day. But we need a we need a decent Blu-ray release, man. It's yeah, so do. good. Yeah, we do. So, well, so Matt, we're we're onto our last film, folks. We're gonna make our final stop in 1986. We're gonna stop in the marvelous month of October, October 24th, mm-hmm. 1986, to be exact. And it's a little film called. Trick or treat. Wake up, sleepyhead. It's body time! Rock and roll will never die. At least not this Halloween. Rock and roll, rock and Trick or treat. Looks like we better check out the party punch. Wow! Wow! <laughs> not trick or treat no. trick or trick treat or treat because <laughs> there's several trick choose trick, your pleasure movies right in the, in the horror genre there's another one what's the other one i think there's another trick or treat maybe or trick or treats or something yeah, i forget another but. one or another 50 somewhere yeah yeah but anyway so go on maddie like shot by robert elswit i don't know if you, that name means anything to you but as paul thomas anderson fan this guy is the genius dp who lensed immortal PTA classics like Boogie Nights, Magnolia, and won the Oscar for There Will Be Blood. He shot this film. You wouldn't know film. it from this film. <laughs> hey, dude, listen. 1986, man. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta sew your oats you gotta, somewhere. You gotta, you you gotta, gotta start somewhere. You gotta teeth, work man. out. Yeah, you gotta work out your problems somewhere, and I think he definitely did in this film. Sure. I... I have so many problems with this film as far as cinematography-wise and just editing-wise. But anyway, go ahead. 
But anyway, the the opening scene is the 1980s metal version of Hitchcock's opening to Rear Window. It's like how the camera floats around Eddie's bedroom, gazing upon these glorious posters of Ozzy and Anthrax and Twisted Sister, series of cross dissolves which gaze lovingly upon studded belts and chrome-plated stereo systems from that beautiful, lovely bygone era, you know, of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And his and his locker with the bark at the moon sticker, and the Aussie picture, and the Molly hatchet, and his denim jacket vest with the band pins on it. I mean, this film gets the teen metalhead outcast perfectly down. Yeah, no, totally. They set set his character up right right from the start. So, um, we have Eddie, right? Is that his name? Eddie? Yes. He's humi- Ragman. Yeah, Ragman. He's humi- <laughs> he's humiliated by the elitist preppies with a a scene in the locker room that's the male counterpart of Carrie, as I call it. Yeah. Complete with slow-mo voiceover and Fastway's music replacing some of the uh, cinematic flashes of De Palma's brilliance in that earlier mentioned film. All in all, it's a really good scene, I think, when he gets locked outside the room and it sets up oh, the character of Eddie really well and why he would want to get back at them pretty badly. Yeah, and it's it's so funny. It's, it's reminiscent of a scene later in, you know, in life of a TV show called Freaks and Geeks. Yes, completely. Where they do the same thing. They do. Uh, to, to the main character, they take his clothes and they throw them out. It's more comedic in, that, in the show, but I just thought that was, that was pretty funny. Yeah, I wonder gets, if they got that. It's very astute, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. The TV news report must be influenced, too, like the, the, when the report comes over about... Um, yes. It must be influenced or like to when Dee Snyder stood in front of the PMRC and t- from Twisted Sister. Yeah, Remember yeah, in front right. of Senate, and then uh, he articulately, intelligently, like, you know, sticking it to Tipper Gore and the PMRC about yep. in their elaborate crusade against, you know, appropriate lyrical content and explicit lyrics and all that other stuff. Right, right. It's really cool, <laughs> though, how well they yeah. the same... I mean, they definitely... It's definitely Dee Snyder's scene, like... Oh, yeah, totally. Sammy Kerr just redoing it. Yep. Yeah, so, and according to Eddie's fan letter, the envelope reads Hoboken, New Jersey, Mike. I don't know if you noticed yeah. that. Um, yeah, no, I, I I think there's a license plate, too, later that has New Jersey somewhere as yeah, so well. so apparently Hoboken doesn't just belong to Frank Sinatra anymore. <laughs> and I don't think neighborhoods look like that in Hoboken, though. Yeah, I don't I don't think so either. Um, Mike, no, this film, I, you know, I, I changed my mind. From the fly, I know I said I know the fly is. I said it was the most violent film. This film boasts the most overtly violent scene I've witnessed in a long time. Um, as Eddie, upon learning that Sammy Kerr has died, he viciously rips posters off his wall, and it's it, it's <laughs> oh my god, it's unbearable to watch. It's, I, I agree. Like, why would you? Why would he do that? That that seemed out of character for me. Why would he rip down posters because, you know, his favorite guy died? I would think he would put up more posters. You know what I mean? It's just... Well, he was angry. He's in, yeah, you know, I he's guess. prone to fits of rage. But uh, that was a great scene, though, when he dumps the lunch tray on Tim and all the bullies are chasing through the school and stuff. Yes. And, the yes. Fi- and they fire extinguisher, like, the, uh, the the lounge, the teacher's lounge or yep. whatever. Uh-huh. That and was then, a good scene. Yep. It's really good, yeah. It's a good chase scene. Dude, and I sure. love the backwards messages, too, man, how he starts playing with those and discovering them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of like his record player using it as a Ouija board almost, asking Sammy Kerr yeah. the questions, you know? Yeah, no, it's definitely very clever. You know, as as you and I know growing up, there was always rumors of that, you know, playing Ozzy records backwards and, you know, stuff like that, which I thought was pretty uh, pretty cool, you know? Mike, I went through this, totally cool. I went through this movie thinking that Lori Laughlin from Full House was that hot chick in the, in the car that was getting, uh, that puts Eddie's tape in and... 
that you know, I know that he gave, I he gave Eddie, she... you know, the, the peace offering, and it seduces her yes. and makes her take her clothes mm-hmm. off and bite her lower lip. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> what is going on here? And it's it's not her, but holy crap, she's a doppelganger they, for Lori Loughlin. Yeah, right? I I thought the same thing. They definitely have this. Maybe they're related. Who knows? Who knows? But definitely looked very similar. Yeah, I was. I thought the exact same thing. So, what do you think of the that, guy who played Sammy Kerr? What do you think of him? Uh, he's all right, I guess. He's got a big schnoz. I yeah, know I think that. he's kind of cool. I think he's. I think he's a lot of. Jer- he's got a lot of jersey to him. I think he's got a. Yeah, definitely. He's got some CC Deville in there. You know. Yes. Yeah, I could see that for sure. He's definitely looks like a CC Deville kind of guy from Poison. For but Mike, sure. I tell you, man, I was a big Wasp fan in the day, and when I read that Blackie Lawless actually auditioned for the role of Sammy Kerr, did he really? I couldn't get the image out of him out of my mind as I watched this again. I'm like, wow. how perfect would have Blackie? And check this out. Like, don't get me wrong, the guy, like I said, Tony Fields, the guy who plays Sammy, he's good. I mean, I, and yeah. I dig Fastway's music, but can you imagine, like, you know, Wasp had just come off their demented first album with, like, you know, L-O-V-E, All I Need Is My Love Machine, like, B-A-D, Bad, right. On Your Knees, and then their, their Animal F's Like a Beast EP, which they really, I mean, <laughs> it shows his crotch covered by a cod piece with a saw blade coming out of it. I mean, he's made for this movie. Yeah, and you know absolutely. he's born to play Sammy, and like Wasp's music would have been really fit like a glove too, like the metal thing. It and really I, would have been but good. But he bowed out. I mean, the producers and whoever said, "Listen, okay, you you can play Sammy Kerr, but you know you're going to be lip syncing the Fastways music." And he was just like, "Oh, he he was thought he was going to be composing the music, his own yeah. music," and he's just like, "No, nah, I'm I'm not doing that." Um, well, I could see why he would make that creative choice. I, t- I, mean? I could too, but man, I, he would have been. I mean, he would have been just as. Just as good, I think. You know, I, I would, I would love to see Blackie Lawless try to give a shot yeah. to this. No, I, I could have totally seen that for sure. But you gotta love Fastway's music. It's, it's, it's so great, and it's such a great, you know, to complement to this film. You know what I mean? To go with it, it's it just, is. Uh, it's a little time capsule. It's, it's definitely not. It's not timeless music, but it certainly it, it fits into the 1986 mold like perfectly for sure. Mm-hmm. It's a good snapshot of what was going on at that time, and you know that kind of stuff it's not really metal but it's kind of you think you know it's kind of the edge of fringe of cool still if you're a metalhead you can still listen to it right right when sammy materializes into the real world mike though he says the line of the movie man to me you should be loyal to your heroes they could turn on you what a great line that is yes that is great i guess he saw that violent scene where he ripped the posters off the wall and he didn't like that too much no i don't think he was that that started it he wasn't happy with a movie with a halloween dance dude I know you gotta love that. That's so great, dude. Oh. And it's really good. I love you know. I pay attention to uh, set design and scenes like that, especially you know. We love like our other favorite trick or treat movie, Trick or Treat. Yes, they did such a great job with the set design of that film. But I think they did a great job with this Halloween dance. You know, it was just really too. cool with the decorations and um, yeah, it was it was awesome. And the metal, I do the have metal an issue. kid. You know, that, that's all they did right. They did it right. No, I do did have some issues with this film. Uh, you know, I the said band, earlier the band, the Kickers, that comes out at the dance. Well, the ba- the band's one thing, but the, no, what doesn't make sense to me. So, Matt, everyone makes fun of Eddie, right? Because he's a metalhead. Yes, um, he, he's an outcast because of his metal lifestyle and the music he likes, and he likes, um, and that's evident. You know, when they have that that pool party scene, you know, they're playing just like typical pop music, right? Yeah. So when Sammy Kerr appears at the Halloween dance and starts playing, why everybody like likes it? Like I just don't understand. Well, I think what he, that I think he kind of possesses them. Really, he, he he's so that's the thing. Like he shows up, you know, he takes the stage and he comes out, and there's that beautiful, great freaking shot 
where the guitar goes twirling through the air and in the in the midst of smoke and lands right in his hand. He steps yes. up to the mic, Mike, and he does that pose where his arms just go Foof, in the V position. Yeah. They shoot up in the air and hits the perfect V and the lights come on. I think it's just like the fact that's what they're they're trying to like, you know, tell every like the audience is that he just had that way over his fans. Like the, that's what he that that was his magic that he had over them. I think. Yeah, I guess it's just there, there's a lot of things like that that just don't really add up. I mean, in well, the listen, story. the bolts of electricity start shooting from his guitar and killing the, the people. <laughs> that that gets a little. <laughs> but when it hits the drummer and stuff, oh, it's great. Yeah. Oh my god. And, and he keeps he continues ripping and gets that orgasmic look on his face and his solo solos himself right out of existence. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, Dude, gosh. Carrie though, people flock into the doors. It's like Carrie all over again. It is, yeah, totally. You can totally tell but, that. But that's I do what agree. I do. I do agree with you to an extent. Like, how can they, you know, kind of the people all of a sudden they like him? You know, if, if Eddie's the outcast. Right. But I think in that moment, I think you get to see what what Eddie has seen, like through his eyes. That's what the way he sees Sammy Kerr. You know what I mean? I think that's I his moment, and it's like we get to see the, the true rock idol worship, like worthy of that worship. But like you get to see that's what Eddie has seen the whole time with his arms up like that, just waiting for him to hit that first chord. And like get right. into it, you know what I mean? I think it's mm-hmm. I don't know for that to that it gives me kind of chills. Like it's kind of like powerful in that way before it starts, before even the music yeah. starts. That's true. You know what I did love? I love the fact that Gene Simmons plays the DJ. Nuke. Um, yeah, and he plays somebody who's not. Right? You know, Nuke. you think of Gene Simmons, yeah, as like a super cocky guy in in real life, but he plays a role that isn't that big of a role, and it's somebody that's not like a rock star. He's just like a DJ in in this local town. You know, I thought that was kind of cool right. of Gene to sort of play a role like that, and I like the way he played it too. You know, yeah, man. Um, I was a little annoyed by Ozzy's role. You know, as the. Uh, I, I, well, how would you annoyed though? It's kind of a cool little I, cameo. It is, I guess. It just seemed a little over the top for me, his uh, performance, you know, but that's just me being picky um, let's on see. acting, I guess. Ozzy over the top. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm listening. <laughs> uh, oh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. So any any other specific scenes you want to talk about? You know, I love the... Um, what is <laughs> like some of the backwards backwards masking messaging? You know the shop class sixty six crush. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's classic. I love that. Um, trying to think of some of the other fun scenes. You know, obviously you talked about the car scene, the and again, like the backwards scene. messaging. You know, like just like what the dangers that that posed. You know, the whole Judas Priest trial in the early eighties, how they got, you know. Uh, they were on trial for you know, kids committing, you know, that that died by suicide based on listening to you know Sad Wings of Destiny and all these t- tunes and the way Ozzy supposedly was saying backwards stuff and it's just all referential, you know that that stuff was dangerous to parents and PMRC and you know these Christians yeah. that were really like, oh, this is poisoning our children. Like this was a big deal back then. No, I mean, it's and I silly think it really, now, but it was yeah, a big deal it really goes then. goes well with the time, you know, when this movie came out for sure, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um yeah. Sammy no, was totally. a dangerous guy to love from parents' yeah. perspective, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense. Especially totally when your sense. mom with the laundry basket outside and you have to knock to get in the room and you can't, you know, <laughs> seriously, like now we, we we're on the other side of the door now, Mike, you know, we're not the kid yeah. in the room anymore. We're I the, know, we're the mom, I know. We're the dad on the outside saying, "Oh, you were right in there," you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Absolutely. Um, so how did you feel about this film, you know, seeing it now, you know, as compared to when you were younger? Dude, I enjoyed it, man. Did you really? I did enjoy mm-hmm. it. I, I think it, like I said, I think it's dated as hell. Um, yes. It has. It hasn't, it hasn't aged well, but, um, mm-hmm. but it's a ride that 
I was so glad to jump back into because it was kind of like an old pair of, you know, shoes or something that you, you kind of cool back then. And it was cool to put them back on for a little bit. Now, would you, would you like, would this be like a, like a film habits for you where you'd watch this no, every Halloween? Every year? No. no, I don't, I don't know that I'd watch it every Halloween, but I put it on every couple of years possibly. Yeah. I think I could agree to that too. Yeah. Not every year um, though. No. No. Yeah. I agree. I, it's just, I don't know. I just have but a it's lot like of an issues. Old, it's like it. an old friend I haven't seen in a while and then you're caught up and you're like, okay, man, I'll see you in a couple more years. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how you feel about me. Isn't it, Maddie? All right, Mike. So, um, <laughs> what? You're just going to ignore that statement? You didn't hear what I just said? Oh, you said? broke up. I'm sorry. What'd you say? I said, that's how you feel about me, isn't it, Maddie? Oh, and, you, and you didn't God. answer. Look I felt at like that. such an ass. Maybe, there's, maybe that's, uh, that's, um, oh. there's some truth there somewhere. This is the end. This is the end of the Alone in the Dark podcast. This Maddie is totally hates Mike. Freudian. Look at this. It just <laughs> came out the wrong way. The, our next podcast will be next year this time. <laughs> We're going to need to uh, build some bridges back up, folks, and then we'll... Uh, oh, gosh, that's awesome. Don't we, didn't, we have that maximum overdrive bridge going on right now. Yeah, that's it, dude. It's all cr- it's all coming no, dude, crashing down. Watermelons and ACD vans. Falling around, <laughs> rolling around, smashing on people. Uh, that's great. You literally broke... How funny is that? It broke up at that one point when you were talking dude, about Dude, I was what? like, why is it... And then you changed the subject. You're like, all right, let's wrap this up. I was like, Matt... <laughs> You just dropped oh, like, great. I need some validation, Maddie. I'm throwing a hand out there. I need you to, to caress it and tell me it's okay. And that Oh, I know. I know. It's so great. And I changed it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, uh, well, with, with, uh, with tradition of the class of episodes, since this is our second one, Matt, you came up with this great idea of doing superlatives, right? Yes, indeed. So let's, so let's uh, get into them, dude. Okay, Mike, biggest flirt, man. What do you got? Uh, my biggest flirt, just because, I don't know, there's something about her, uh, I can't think of the actress's real name, but her character's name in April Fool's Day, Nikki. Um, yes. I just love her, man, especially on the uh, the ferry scene where, uh, what's the, the the yuppie guy that's trying to get uh, Buffy's, uh, Muffy's uh, dad's, you know, job or whatever, yes. get a job. Uh, he comes up and talks to her and... Yeah, the guy in the you suit know, that's always wearing like the good clothes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. But there's that scene. She's just like laying there in, in her uh, in her bikini, and she's yep. sort of flirting with him a little bit, but not really because she's with uh, you know what's his name. Um, yeah, she's with I Chaz, I think, right? Chaz, yeah. Right. So uh, Nikki, man, I just you got to go with Nikki. Biggest flirt. She definitely flirted with me on the Ooh. other side of the TV. Very nice, man. <laughs> uh, I bet you your son had a little bit of a little Nikki thing going on too. Maybe I didn't ask him. That would have been embarrassing. But no, anyway, no, who's <laughs> My, my biggest flirt Who's your for biggest me flirt? is uh, Tanya from House. Oh, nice. Yeah, from that yeah. first moment she jogs by and she wishes Roger, morning. She's, <laughs> she's looking like she just doubled for Olivia Newton-John in the video set for yeah. physical. I mean, she's coming. You know, her flirt game is strong, Mike. I mean, her head's yes. a swivel. She ogles mm-hmm. Roger like he's a mid-morning snack that she would love to nibble on. <laughs> then when she emerges from the pool, you know, as a brazen beauty who says... I can tell him when a man wants to work. I can also tell when a man wants to play. Yes. <laughs> In her little faux Swedish accent. Unfortunately, the blue bikini she wears is symbolic of the blue balls that Roger's going to get when she eventually brings her <laughs> little tiny son, Robbie, to come literally play with Roger. Oh, um, that's so great. So class tease is more like it, Mikey, but yeah. Yeah. Good pick, dude. Good pick. So class clown, Mike. Mm-hmm. Class clown. I think Who's the class clown I- for you? I think we both have the same for this one, Matt, so we can collectively uh, well, let's talk see. about it. What do it, we but, got? What do you got? Oh, it's got to be Skip from April Fool's Day, man. Our Indeed, good buddy. You know? it's Skip, Mike. It is Skip. 
not only does he pop the collar, but he he knows how to fall out of a chair. He's done he does that a couple times too, <laughs> and he's he's definitely a horny bastard as well, isn't he, Matt? He he's is, like, man. He's like creeping around the house, you know, trying to you know get into uh, into Muffy's pants, you know. It's just uh, I love it. But I mean, anybody uh, listen, anybody that can fool his closest friends who really know him already to be a buffoon, like they all know him as that guy. Yes. But, if you could fool them into believing that your your best buddy just knifed you and killed you on the ferry. I mean, this guy's a <laughs> damn good prankster in my book. I mean, he's got everybody convinced he's Muffy's cousin when, in fact, he is her twin brother. I mean, yes, that conceit yes. alone makes him a master manipulator in all-around world-class class clown. Mm-hmm. Skip, you get, the, you get the nod there, buddy. Yeah, no, he was definitely the best. Yep. So, so Mike, moving on. Cutest, cu- yep. cutest couple, Mike. Who do you have for cutest couple from Class of 86? I had to go, you know, you said it when we talked about this film, but I had to go with Jim and Nash from the from the Hitcher, dude. I don't know. There's just something so innocent and sweet of how they met and uh, just, you know, the, the way she puts herself out there for him and, and yeah. sort of, you know, sticks up for him with the police and everything. And That's really um, cool. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I just thought they were a sweet couple, so I had to go with Jim and Nash. They they go all the way for me for cutest couple. All right, well I um I got Eddie and Leslie from Trick or Treat. Believe it or not, um, <laughs> you know from that first awkward invitation to the pool party uh, to Eddie's incensed post pool shellacking of Leslie in the parking lot. It seems that mm-hmm. it's going to be another mismatched couple with a domestic violence in their future. You know, but no, before long, Mike, it's clear that Leslie's response when someone asks her. Are you making it with Weinbauer? Is a resounding yes. <laughs> Indeed, she would be. Um, you know, their rebellious Bonnie and Clyde run to escape the police, and eventually Eddie's romantic return to the promise of maybe. Love, love like theirs, Mike. <laughs> love like theirs is stuff of legend, Mike. <laughs> That's awesome. Good one. Good one. Nice. And now we're moving on to most athletic, I believe. Right, Matt? Yes, we are. All right. I had to go with good old Roger Cobb from House. Roger Cobb and that V-neck. That V-neck. That deep V, man. Not only he <laughs> rocks the deep V, he rocks the camo, too. And he's all over that house, all over the woods. He's all over anywhere that he can run. He's swimming in pools. He's, Dude, this guy has done it all, man. He's done anything that's athletic has been done in this film. And I had to give that award to him just for the the effect that uh he uh he saved his son in the end you know and it, it was all he worth did, it man. for his athleticism yeah there's no doubt that um that roger cobb was an athlete but uh i i chose uh, i chose differently i chose seth brundle from the fly mm. with with his tantric sex stamina um and, and his randy resolve <laughs> his, his resolve to make love to gina davis until her uterus just falls out of her i and mean this, this guy too. is an unstoppable <laughs> athlete like not to mention the dexterity displays when he Climbs the walls of his apartment and does these inverted pull-ups and handstands. I mean, this guy American really, Anthem, American Anthem, man. He, he's he's got it going on. Totally, absolutely, good one. Most got next, changed, man? Mike. Who's oh, most changed? God. I, I don't know, dude. I think hands down, he's getting two awards tonight for me. It's got to be Jim Halsey from The Hitcher, dude. All right. Think of think of his character at the beginning. He is scared in that car. Right? He's, a he's driving that yeah, car. Yeah, he's an innocent man. For sure. He is scared of noises. He's scared of, of lights. And then by the end of the film, dude, he's a changed man. Like, look at how much he had to go through, the torture that he had to go through. He, you know, he was put in a, in a cop car. He was put in prison. He was chased around the Midwest. Yeah. And now he's a changed man. Now he's definitely going to live his life a little differently, I feel like, you know? I mean, and after, you know, after seeing your, your girlfriend pulled apart by trucks and... and oh, um, my gosh. And, 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 you know, seeing what he saw 
John Ryder, you know, what, what he, John Ryder exposed him to and psychologically implanted in his brain. I mean, he's going to mm-hmm. be changed for a long time for sure. No, absolutely, yes. But, so that had um, to be my my most changed. What's yours, Matt? I mean, to me, if you look physic, you know, physical feature-wise, I mean, the <laughs> obvious would be Seth Brundle from The Fly. I mean, look, he starts out yes. as a man, and he ends up as, you know, a completely different creature. I mean, it goes through a metamorphosis, for, for Christ's sake. But mm-hmm. I chose um, I chose simpler than that, Mike. I went with the baseball player who gets steamrolled in Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> Let me tell you why. <laughs> Anyone who starts out as a three-dimensional flesh and blood human being and ends oh, up as a two dimensional blood smear on a machine roller that's what I call change Mike oh that is so changed oh my god that poor kid I oh, love that that, that is poor change kid. oh god alright what do we so, got most likely to succeed if they weren't slashed alright uh, I had to go with the first baboon from the fly that gets, <laughs> that gets because Oh my God! That poor thing. I think he would have went on to do great things, you know. If if he didn't, you know, if if Seth didn't take him and put him in that transporter. Yeah. Oh man, think of the things he could have done. You know, he could have been gorillas in the mist. I, I don't know. Like, what what could he have done, Maddie? What could have this poor thing done? Other medical have, tests could have been an extra in Congo. It is. He, he, this list is endless. I know. I know. I just feel so bad for this guy. You know, and I think his brother, his brother made it, but he didn't. Right. He could have been Joey's friend on Friends. You know. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He could have been in uh, the toy. Right? Isn't there yeah, baboon in the toy? The, the, the <laughs> possibilities are endless for this best baboon. Yeah. So that was mine. What's yours, Maddie? Who's most likely well, to succeed if they weren't slashed? Well, again, double duty here. Seth from the Fly. I'm picking somebody from the Fly also. But his <laughs> telepods, Mike. I mean, this is yeah. mind-blowingly next-level scientific breakthrough of the mm-hmm. century, if not the millennium. I, I mean, know. the fact that they can disintegrate matter, transmit it across space, and then reintegrate it. I mean, it would have made him a premier scientist and billionaire of his day. Alas, he wasn't slashed. More like fused mm-hmm. and mutated with a piece of machinery before having his head mercifully blown off. Right. But he would have been quite a success story. He would have made a brundle of cash. I mean, uh, a bundle of cash. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good for one. Sure. Uh, best dancer? Best dancer, Mike. What do you got for best dancer? Well, I think you you kind of... I'm going to give you credit for this because I was having a tough one, a tough uh, time thinking of this one, but you gave me this one, and I love it. Uh, Muffy for Maple Fool's Day because she pretty much dances around her her character jumping back and forth from Muffy into Buffy. So she does. It's not a f- it's not a physical dance, Matt, but it's a character dance. Yeah, she's from- dancing around the truth, as I said. Yes, that's true, and uh, so I had to give it to her. So that, that's my best dancer. Who do you got? Well, this is astounding. You're picking somebody from Maple Fool's Day, as am I, mm-hmm. and and we're skipping over Trick or Treat, which actually has a freaking Halloween dance. How ironic is that? Yes. So That's I'm true. picking Chaz from April Fool's Day. I mean, and what amounts to about 10 seconds of screen time. Yes. Chaz simultaneously invents a brand new dance move and a sexual deviancy at the same time. <laughs> I call it propsturbation, whereas he gets head <laughs> from a fake decapitated head. So you got to give Chaz some mad-ass props here for being an innovator. Not it's You know, being an innovator is not always pretty, Mike, but, but it'll get yes. the job done. <laughs> Good one. That's great. Uh, so this one we're talking about a film, right, Maddie? Correct. So it's most likely to still be relevant twenty years from now. Yes, correct. 
So for me, Matt, it's my favorite, dude. April Fool's Day. Um, I just love this movie. I think they could remake this movie. I think it's it, it holds up as is. But imagine them remaking April Fool's Day. How great would it be? You know I don't I mean? know. Oh. Well, you don't know unless we know who made it, who was making it. Then you know. That's true too. That's true. But I, I I just I love this film, and I think it's it's great. Just watching my son watch it yesterday, and just seeing his hearing his reactions, and you know afterwards he's like, wow, that was really good. You know, so. That's just proof right there. You got a 14-year-old that really enjoys it, so I think that's definitely my pick. That's a that's a pretty yeah, that's a pretty good uh, review right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. um, I said, I mean, I certainly think the fly would just with its technological message alone, and the, in fact, how relevant it is. But I, I, I picked the hitcher because, like, I think not even 20, a hundred years from now, the fear of letting danger into your life, like unexpectedly, as I said earlier, it's still going to be identifiably and, and real for for people. I think. As for hitchhiking, you know, shame on you. Your mom um, and Ronnie Dames Dio and, and Rick Springfield, they've warned you, don't talk to strangers, Mike. <laughs> but, you know, Jim let one in his car. So what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. there you go. He made that bad choice. Shouldn't have done that. Most um, deserving, lastly, most deserving mm-hmm. of being slashed, Mike. Who do you have? Mm-hmm. Well... I had he's just such a prick and uh, you know like you said he kind of goes from selling Bibles to to uh, degrading women I had to give it to Loman for maximum overdrive (laughs) (laughs) when he got it I was yeah when he got it I was very happy you know what I mean it's just did you watch that with Mikey by the way no I didn't oh you didn't by myself yeah yeah I could have I could have but I didn't yeah you could have um Dude, yeah. Who who else deserves it more than than Loman, man? What a prick, dude. He's like, you know, when he's driving right. in the car with her and he's got his hand on her leg, oh, he's you know. Definitely. He's he's a sleazy bastard. So see you, Loman. He's, Goodbye. He's worthy of badness. I mean, and and, yeah. and ending badly. He definitely he earns every bit of his death for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who do you got? Well, I have someone who doesn't actually die. Um, I, I said the most deserving because it says most deserving of being. That's slashed. true. I said is Muffy from April Fool's Day. And, ah. you know, being slashed, I think, would be a merciful fate for this merry prankster because Muffy may have rigged the good ruse, Mikey. She did. I mean, think about mm-hmm. what she put over. But the immeasurable amounts of psychological damage that she inflicted on her friends along the way deserves a punishment <laughs> almost too dastardly to devise. Perhaps maybe everyone she fooled should could line up and they could take turns bashing her over the head with that old jack-in-the-box in the basement. That might be a fitting yeah. end for her. <laughs> Well, she almost she got the fake kill at the end, which I we we didn't mention when we talked about the film. Yes, her good friend that was pregnant. You know what I mean with the with the slash of the throat. I thought that was great, man. That was that was kind of a cool little uh, Friday the Thirteenth, you know, Carrie esque kind of an ending. You know. Wow, you're comparing I, that to Carrie. <laughs> Mike, I'm going to stop you there, man. It's late. I know it's late, but that's a leap, my friend. That is a leap. I know. I know it is, Maddie, but I do have I do have such you a have love, such love for, for April that. Fool's Day. I love to hear you talk about. You know what? I, more power to you that you can that you can see <laughs> April Fool's Day as a, a, in the same cinematic light as Carrie. I think that's that, no. Mike, that's, I that, meant that the ending. Me. No, no I, I just meant the ending, man. Yeah, that just tacked the, on ending where they wanted to yes, give the, the poor pregnant girl some, some some payback. I got you. I got you. Calm down. Hold oh, your I'm, horses. I'm very calm. I'm very calm. Just like a like a bag of worms, like I said, the one bag podcast. of worms. <laughs> awesome. Well, this was fun, Matt. We this is great. Great trip down to to 1986. 1986, Mike. I wonder what the next class of will be, Matt. Where do you think we'll go? Next class of go, oh, I have tons of ideas for the next. Are I have, we going to go back in time? Are we going to go like earlier than 86? Are we going to go later than 96? What are we going to do? I, 
think I know where we're going to go, um, mm-hmm. but we'll have to discuss that and uh, figure out figure that out because that's going to be a little bit forecast in the future. Yes, totally. So our next podcast will be in six months. No, I'm just no. Kidding. Let, but let us, but seriously, <laughs> let us know. Uh, give us some feedback on on Instagram, Facebook. What you guys thought? Think of these uh, class of um, episodes. Yeah. We'd like to get your feedback for sure. And don't yell at us for the movies we we didn't talk about. And we we kind of explained it at the beginning. We you know we can't talk about them all. You know and we're trying to mix it up a little. bit. Of course, bit. there's there's a lot put of some love fresh out films there for those films. I know. Put put some fresh films in the into the, the discussion. So that's all we're doing here. So yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so uh, definitely check out our talking points. We're going to do Creep Show versus Creep Show Two. So please, yep. if you're not on Instagram, or even if you are on Instagram and you're not following us, please do just search "Alone in the Dark" podcast. You'll find us on there. Um, what else, Maddie? Leave us an iTunes review, please. Please. And if you have any have any friends that are horror fans, please tell them to do that as well. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll have something coming up pretty soon. I think another podcast in the next probably month, right, Matt? Oh, for sure. With some with some other talking points uh, in between there, so it should be good. Um, so that's that's about it, Matt. Are you gonna leave us with something? Okay, I'm gonna leave you with just a little tiny pledge, Mike. If you find mm. yourself alone in the dark, start a fire and see the spark. We pledge <laughs> to the class of '86. So settle down and get your fix. <laughs> Enjoy all of these fine films. Re- revisit them. Get a piece of your life back that yes. you haven't you haven't seen or felt or heard from in a long time. I'm telling you, it's like getting an old friend or finding like an old uh, maybe um, magazine or something for like guitar, you know, guitar player or some you know parade magazine or, old, or, or old Fangoria, an old Fangoria in a closet. Yes. You didn't, and you just it's revisiting. You sit down with it for a little while and, and you know mm-hmm. get to know it again because it's it's fun stuff. Yeah, make some time for you, right, Maddie? Make some time for you. That's it. And don't That's be it. a bad friend like I was to Mike when, when he crapped out <laughs> a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Take care, folks. <laughs> <laughs>